is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. What are you talking about? No, it's not him. Now there's only one more. There is only one more. There's, there's, that's it. One more. Get around. No. They saw your team. Put up zero effort. Wake up. Remember in the old days they used to have oxygen for them. Where's the oxygen? Play like absolute just garbage. <laughs> this is the Sports Loud Mouse. Yay! Man, can you keep it down? I'm trying to introduce here. With Errol Marks and Speedy Beanie. You're not even a has-been. You're a never was. You're a never was. Week one, out of the way. Week two, <laughs> around the corner. This is the Sports Loudmouth. 631-672-3108 is the number to call. You can go to our website at www.worldwidesportsradio.com. Download our app on iOS, WWSRN, or Android, Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Speedy Petey. What is up, my friend? Happy for my Giants that actually won in week one. Who would have thought one of the more thrilling games I remember seeing from the last, like, five years as a Giants fan. What an epic win to start the season. But we know our guests are not going to be too happy about that coming from other NFC East teams. That's right. Uh, at 8 o'clock, we'll be talking to InsideTheBirds.com staff reporter Andrew DeCecco. He will be joining us. And at 8.30, we'll be talking to SB Nation blogging and the boys editor-in-chief RJ Ochoa. He has been on the show before, and he had his own thoughts when we had him on about his Dallas Cowboys. So uh, it will be interesting to hear what he has to say about Dak Prescott, the loss of Dak Prescott for six to eight weeks, and really where the Cowboys are heading, losing their star quarterback. So, so much to talk about tonight, so much in week one. Uh, We will get into uh, Tom Brady hinting This will be his last and final season. Not surprised, as we all know, the saga with him and his wife. So we'll get into that a little bit later in the show. Robert Sala says he's keeping receipts for all those people mocking and attacking the New York Jets in their loss uh, against Baltimore on Sunday. Uh, We'll definitely get into that first. Week one recap, we'll go through all the games, our thoughts of where these teams are after week one, which really means nothing because it's only week one. But, of course, everybody and every single fan wants to jump off a ledge because their team lost in week one. And it was a lot of upsets. And as far as my suicide pool, I'm pretty much out of it. So a lot to talk about. Red Sox expecting uh, aggressive pursue of Aaron Judge. I've been talking about this for months. For months, ladies and gentlemen. And now all of a sudden you're hearing it, not from me, but everybody else, that the Red Sox are going to go heavily after Aaron Judge in the offseason, as well as the San Francisco uh, San Francisco uh, Giants. Giants. I was going to say 49ers, but uh, San, uh, San Francisco Giants, who have absolutely said that they're going to go after him in the offseason. Well, the way the way the 49ers offense played on Sunday, they might need Aaron Judge. <laughs> yes. And the latest on the Mets and the Yankees playoff races and throughout the MLB. So, lot to get into. Some great guests. So, why don't we get into Robert Sala? Because it, it really is so funny that a New York Jet head coach becomes a clown again. And I am a Jet fan. And I loved 
when the New York Jets brought in Robert Sala. I really did. I, I loved Robert Sala. I loved the hiring. I thought it was a great move by Joe Douglas. Sensational. But you sit here today, and we could go back and forth on what Robert Sala said at his press conference, not only to the press, but talking to the Jet fans. And the way he just tried to twist what he said against the press and against the fans. That he's going to be taking receipts for all the fans, the press, and everybody that have been taking shots at the game that looked like they had no chance of winning. Now, I'll sit here, and I could go back and forth, and I could talk about the Jets all day. Everybody knows I'm a Jet fan. Everybody knows what I thought about game number one against the Baltimore Ravens. It was rainy. The Jets' secondary looked good in the first half, looked really bad in the the third and fourth quarter. Their front seven was dominant in the first half and looked like they were just too tired in the second half. The offense was really, I don't know, buried. (laughs) Joe Flacco looked like he was as old as he played, okay? He was horrible. 60 passes. Under 300 yards. That, I'm sorry, doesn't sell to me as a Jet fan. The wide receivers, Elijah Moore, dropping the ball. Corey Davis, not surprised, dropping the ball. Garrett Wilson not playing really in the first quarter, being brought out in the second quarter because he doesn't know the playbook. Why does he does he not know the playbook? And Robert Sala, I understand he's trying to protect his players. I understand he's a player's coach. I understand that the players respect that he doesn't go after the players at a press conference. But when your team stinks, they stink. Mike Tomlin, everybody knows who Mike Tomlin is, ladies and gentlemen. If Mike Tomlin was coaching the New York Jets and he was at that press conference on Monday, he would have just went up there and said, we stunk it up. We were horrible. We're going to go play harder week two, week three, Hard practices, and I'm going to get this team to play. But on Sunday, the defense showed up. The offense, I don't know where the heck they were. They stepped on the field. They looked like they they were going to go out and play hard. It was raining. But that's not an excuse. You don't see Lamar Jackson. You don't see the Baltimore Ravens crying about that. Lamar Jackson had three touchdown passes. Two of them over 30 yards. Lamar Jackson. Joe Flacco, who's won a Super Bowl, who has a great arm, at one point had one of the best arms in football. How many complete passes did he have all game? And I will say this. 
Lincoln Tomlinson was horrible. Absolutely horrible. One of Joe Douglas's big signings in the offseason. Everybody loved it, including yours truly. Loved that Lincoln Tomlinson was coming to the New York Jets. Something that the Jets absolutely needed. A guard, a leader on that offensive line. He didn't show up in game number one. I don't want to hear about Dwayne Brown and his injuries. It doesn't matter. It really doesn't. Because he's out on IR. We don't know when he's going to be back. He could be back, I don't know, week four with Zach Wilson. Maybe he doesn't come back until week six or week seven. We don't know how bad the shoulder is. But what we do know is this offensive line needs to wake up. George Font, who was one of the top 12 offensive tackles in football last year, I, I, I think he, was, he thought he was playing peewee football again. Max Mitchell, the rookie, played better than George Font did. Elijah Ferret Tucker played better than Lankin Tomlinson did. Two young players on another side of a line who played fantastic. They really did. The left side was absolutely abysmal. They didn't show up. And there is no excuses for Robert Sala... And this offense. Brees Hall is a young running back. He made some mistakes in week one. He looked good in the first half. Michael Carter looked really good in the first half. And for some reason, Mike LaFleur decided not to give him the ball anymore. It doesn't make sense. And Mike LaFleur, stop making excuses on Monday. There is no excuses. It was wet. It was this. There was a lot of drops. Even the Baltimore Ravens dropped the ball. I don't want to hear it. You're a professional football team. This is your second year. It's time to put up or shut up. And Robert Sala taking shots like a clown speedy and saying that he's going to be taking receipts just shows you one thing. I have been a Jet fan my whole life. Long before Robert Sala was a head coach. Long long before Robert Sala even started assisting coaching. And to to, to sell to the Jet fans that you're going to be taking receipts and proving everybody. We've seen coach after coach after coach after coach after coach come in here and fail. Miserably. The Jets have had four head coaches in ten years. Tell me how many football teams in the NFL has has broken that record. It's embarrassing. This team has been an absolute embarrassment. Not only to the Jets organization. Not only to the fan base. But to the fans in all of sports. The fans in all of football. The whole NFL. When everybody's watching football games and they're popping on the New York Jets and laughing at them. I will tell you this. Out of all the games this weekend, the Jets were the only game. Was the only game that wasn't even close. Even the games that were high scoring, they were fun to watch. The Jets, you know the game was over. What was it? 
24 to 24, 26 to 3, the game was over. Nobody thought the Jets were coming back. What, because the Jets scored a touchdown at the end of the fourth quarter? It made it closer? Nobody cares. Why didn't you throw the ball to Conklin? Why didn't you? That you, you paid him so much money in the offseason. Him and Us, uh, Uzma, uh, another tight end you brought in from Cincinnati, a Super Bowl contending team. You brought him over there. You paid him a lot of money. And you decided to throw to a tight end that shouldn't have even made the team. It was an embarrassment. And Robert Sala sitting there, well, we look good. Uh, the first half we looked really good. It doesn't matter. If you don't play four quarters, no Jet fan is going to sit here. You, you talk about how, how great the Jet fans are, how connected they are to their team. Out of all the NFL teams that you've been around, Robert, you've talked about this since you've taken control of this organization and this team. All gas, no break. Remember that? Remember that saying? Remember what all the different things that you have told to the Jet fans over and over and over and over again. And you're going to sell us by saying what you said at the press conference saying, I don't know. I'm going to be taking receipts? That is a clown answer. That is Rex Ryan-esque. Where's Rex Ryan right now? Is he coaching in the NFL anymore? I'm sorry. He's an analyst for ESPN. I love Rex. Everybody knows I have a good connection with Rex Ryan. I've met him a couple of times. I've had so many great conversations with Rex Ryan. But you cannot sell me a football game that was a complete embarrassment. Not only... Not only to you, Speedy, who is not even a Jet fan, but every single kid that wants to be a Jet fan. I don't know how many, but a kid that's trying to pick a football team to root for. Why would they want to root for the New York Jets? Not after that performance. The only thing that was good about that game for the Jets was the run defense. Everything else was very questionable in that game. Uh, Alex Slow says, I think Brady's going to be gone after this year for sure. And then Ben says, hopefully. And we have the Beave on the line. Beave, what's going on, bud? What's up, my friend? How are you? Uh, as you can hear my rant, I'm not very yeah, good. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Now. I mean, what did you really expect from Joe Flacco? Did you expect anything good out of him? It has nothing to do with Joe Flacco. It has everything yeah, but, to do with their head um, coach. Well, I understand that too, but Flacco is past his prime. He's not good anymore. He can't run. He just stands there and does nothing. He's not a good. He's not a good quarterback. Sorry, he's not. Joe Flacco a, can. Could Joe Flacco still make every single throw? Yeah, but he can't. He can't scramble. He can't get away. No, from pressure. and and that has a lot to do with the offensive line. And I, uh, I've taken shots at Lincoln Thomason. Yes. I have taken shots at uh, George Font. I, I understand. That the offensive line did not show up on Sunday. They did not. So, you saw, I mean, if you had Zach Wilson in there, he could probably hide some of the deficiencies. Oh, absolutely would have. He would have rolled out. And one of the strengths of Zach Wilson is throwing on the run. He's very accurate. Actually, one of the strengths of Zach Wilson is throwing on the run. Maybe the Jets would have given it a more of a credited game that you could talk about tomorrow and the next day. Maybe the game was closer if Zach Wilson played. 
it might have, it could have been, but you have to give credit to the Jets defense because they're the only thing that actually looked good on, on that game. Well, I will say this. Sauce Gardner is the real deal. They put him on Andrews when he was in the, um, the red zone. He shut Andrews down. Mark Andrews is the best tight end, off, offensive tight end in the NFL in the red zone. 100%. He was number one last year. He's probably going to be number one this year. And he, as in Sauce Garner, shut him down in the red zone. He had a chance to catch a touchdown. He knocked the ball out of his hands. That's what you expect from your top corner. You, you went after him. He was the fourth pick. It was a steal. Absolutely great move for Joe Douglas. 100%. Garrett Wilson. Why isn't Garrett Wilson playing on every snap? He was the best wide receiver on the field. 100%. Yes. Well, I don't understand also Besides why they Dumerville, a, uh, the, the kid, the kid Duvernay, a, a, the kid from Baltimore. They have, they have a guy sitting on the bench who they're not even playing in Denzel Mims, and he's supposed to be a very talented wide receiver, and they want nothing to do with the guy. It doesn't make any sense to me. Well... I think Corey Davis, Corey Davis will not be healthy all season long. So I, I expect to see Denzel Mims one time or a few times this year. And he, he will have his chance to prove himself on the field one way or another because Corey Davis never stays healthy. The man's never no, been healthy on Tennessee and for the New York Jets. The guy should be playing. If he's that talented, he should be playing. Well, they don't know if he fits the offense. He hasn't fit the offense since Robert Sala has got has, has, has stepped on that field as the head coach of the New York Jets. It's and, a, I was going to say, it's a heavy motion offense, Beef. So if Denzel Mims is not a great route runner, then all of a sudden he's not going to be able to fit right away. Garrett Wilson and Elijah Moore should, but they didn't use him right, right like yeah, I was no, saying. But they, but they talked about Mims being very, very talented. So, I, I mean, why not put him on the all field? These play, J- beef, all these players are talented. That's not an excuse. You're, you're running an offense. Why doesn't your best wide receiver or your young wide receiver that you drafted in the top 10, you brought him to this team, why doesn't he know the playbook? He's been there for, what, eight weeks? Nine weeks? Maybe it's bad coaching and uh, they can't find the, I don't know. I don't know what it is. I I don't know what it is. Here's what I do know. Robert Sala at a press conference taking shots at the fans and the press is not going to sell him to anybody. As a matter of fact, the clock has really turned for him. And what does so that you mean? Think, so you think he's a Nazi? Uh, this is the fact that he opened his mouth and took a shot. Every single coach, Joe Judge, remember him last year? He opened his mouth at a press conference. Yeah. You remember that? He opened his mouth. He took a shot at the press. He said some things about the fans, and what happened? He got fired. He got fired. Now, all of a sudden, he opens his mouth. Robert Sala opens his mouth and pretty much took a shot at the press and the fans on what they have said. Remember when Robert Sala said that he doesn't read the newspaper? Mm-hmm. Remember when he said he doesn't follow any of what the press says about him oh, and his team? In New York, that in is New a York, lie. In New York, you're going to have to. That is a lie. You're in the spotlight. He embarrassed himself. No. He embarrassed the organization, opening his mouth and saying what he said. This is the press. This is New York. You're going to deal with this every single week if you don't win. And this team is supposed to be competitive. They were not competitive against Baltimore. Uh, I, I don't have a problem with him taking shots at the press. It's the taking shots, shots at the fans. That, that, that's the issue. Here's the thing. 
Go out on the field and prove yourself. That's what you... You yeah, said this. He's, he's, he's missing his quarterback. So you said this team was going to be con- competitive. And don't give me Zach Wilson. Take Zach Wilson out. Let's go to the Cleveland Browns. Jacoby Brissett is the starting quarterback. They don't have Deshaun Watson for the next ten weeks, but they seem to pull off a win against the Carolina Panther Panther team that is one hundred percent healthy. They have their wide receivers. They had Christian McCaffrey. They had their defensive line. They had their offensive line. They were 100% healthy. And they beat them fair and square. And now the Jets are going into Cleveland on Sunday, and they're going to play Jacoby Brissett. What excuse is Robert Sala going to have if they lose against a third-string quarterback? And that's what he is. Jacoby Brissett is not a second-string quarterback. He's not. He never was. Everywhere he's gone, he has been a third-string quarterback. So if they lose against the Cleveland Browns on Sunday, what is their excuse then? You're going to blame the press? You're going to blame the fans? How about you blame your dirty underwear? No. Uh, how nice. <laughs> I, I mean, it's just, it's embarrassing. It is embarrassing. How could you sit here as a Jet fan, and you're not? Me as a Jet no. fan, and Jet fans around the oh, world. My, my father is, and I see him. I see what he goes through, so I see it. That must have been a rough Sunday in your household. <laughs> it was the most embarrassing game out of all the games. Look at the, the Chicago Bears that have no wide receivers. What do they have, Maloney? That's what they have. Yeah. They have nobody else. Nobody. Justin Fields didn't have a great game. He threw 114 yards. He didn't do anything in the game. They knocked off the San Francisco 49ers, one of the favorites of coming out of the NFC. Oh, not something. Jimmy G, Jimmy G should be starting, not trailer. That doesn't matter. That doesn't matter. The not- fact is, the 49ers were embarrassed on Sunday, but they still were competitive against the Chicago Bears. The Jets were not competitive against the Baltimore Ravens. As a matter of fact, they were completely embarrassing. They... I, I'll tell you this. If I went to a football game and I paid $250, $300 for seats, you know what I would have done? In the third <laughs> quarter, I would have booed. I would have taken my hat, thrown it on a field, and walked out. I am not sitting and watching that garbage. That is garbage. There was no competitiveness at all from that team. And in the fourth quarter, wow. I don't want to say about their defense. Their defense was tired but they were not competitive. There was nothing competitive. They gave up in the third quarter. The game was and over the, in the third and the quarter. First, the first half, they were very competitive, and then they just fell off. You have to play four quarters of football. You have to play four quarters. I know that, but when you're on the field that many times, you get tired. It's just it's what happens. These players get tired. I'm tired just talking about this, honestly. Oh, I'm sorry I, for a lot of Jet fans are. I, I'm real. I'm really tired, and I listen to all these analysts talk about what Robert Sala said. I am absolutely appalled by a, a coach that I respect, that I love, and I I've I love since the Jets brought him in to this organization to come out and attack the press and the fans, and mainly the fans because he doesn't want to hear what the fans have to say about his players. His players were a complete embarrassment. Lankin Thomason, they paid him a lot of money in the offseason. 
He he had a no-show in, in game number one. And don't make that excuse because he's been practicing with Dwayne Brown. Dwayne Brown has shown up to the team three weeks before the season. There is no excuse. Lankin Tomlinson has no excuse on the complete embarrassment of a game where he should have stopped a 60-year-old offensive, a defensive lineman in Houston. Let's be honest. How old is Houston? The guy's been in the league forever. Mm-hmm. He's 38 years old, and he's running all over you. He's throwing you around. You're a young guard. You're 30 years old in the prime of your career. And this man, who's probably a Hall of Famer, nevertheless, 36, 37 years old, tossing you around like you're an eggplant. Hasn't been the same in four years either. Remember when he left the Chiefs, he went to the Colts, and he's been a no-show ever since then, too. And he was getting dominating against Lakin Tomlinson, who was just a Pro Bowl player last year. So It's an embarrassment. A complete embarrassment. There's no excuses. You stunk as a head coach. I give you an F. Your defense played well in the first half, and we're tied in the second half. You have two good corners, but your safeties didn't show up. Whitehead's out for a significant amount of time. He's going on the IR. You bring back Park, which you dropped. People were wondering why you dropped Parks. He comes back. How long is he going to be on a team? How many? How long is this, this defense going to stay healthy? This is an embarrassment. And as a Jet fan, if if I'm going to watch this week in and week out, I don't want to watch it anymore. I don't want to watch it. You're a Cowboy fan. At least the Cowboys, you could say whatever you want. At least the Cowboys gave Tampa a game. They did. Because because of their defense. Okay. Did they die in the fourth quarter? No. Okay. The Jets did. They gave up. Their offense offense was was garbage all, all game. All game. It was horrible. They still gave the Tampa Bay Buccaneers a game. Because, because the defense, you know, helped them, helped them out. They, they, you know, they just kept going and going and going. When you give up three touchdowns to a running quarterback, not a pocket quarterback, a running quarterback, for and two of them over 30 yards. One of them, I think, over 40 yards. And you, and you lose to a quarterback – that really, very rare, he throws three touchdowns in a game. As a matter of fact, last year, he did it once. He threw three touchdowns in one game once. In game number one, in MetLife Stadium, in the rain, you let Lamar Jackson throw three touchdowns against you, and two of them over 30, 30 yards or longer. And B, we got to let you go in a bit, but before before I let, before we let you go, I just want to say the Bears have a lot less talent on their defense than the Jets too, and they held a very talented 49ers offense, which probably has more all-around talent than the Ravens, to just ten points. So it says a lot about the coaching there. No, I know, but I mean, going we're going with the Cowboys. I mean, their defense is just—they're playing really well, and I hope that they you know stay like that. But they get might they might get burnt out toward um you know the middle of the season because they're going to have no offense. Well, I, I, we will get into the Cowboys. Keep listening. I know, but I, have, well, we, I just wanted to get my thoughts on Oh, that. don't worry. We're going to talk about the Cowboys. We're going to go through they, every they, single game. Before I go, they should go after Jimmy G and sign him and, and get in because Cooper Rush ain't doing nothing. Well, I, I believe that Jerry – and here's another thing. I'm, I'm going to take a shot at Jerry Jones. Again. Why aren't they putting Dak Prescott on the IR? Why are you going to lose his spot when you can bring another quarterback in why would you do that? Jerry Jones says he's going to be back in four weeks now. He's That's not coming back in four weeks with a, I don't think so a either, finger that I, needs surgery. There's no I way. He never, I hope he never comes back. It's the same injury that Russell Wilson had last year. Yeah, same one. 
100%. How long did it take Russell Wilson? And he came back pretty fast. Yeah. How long did it take him to come? A month and a half. A month and a half. Yeah, I know. I get it. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make any sense, but take your shots at Jerry Jones all you want because I can't stand him. Thanks, babe. All right. Talk to you later. But we're going to get our guest in at just a few moments, but I'm just, I've had it. I've had it. This man needs to go out there as a head coach and not be, I guess, so friendly to his, you know, his his team the way he is. I understand that he loves his players. I understand he's a player's coach. But to go out there and not attack what his team did on Sunday, it just shows you as a Jet fan he's not the guy for the job. He's just not. Look what Dable did in week one as the head coach for the New York Giants. Yeah, they played the Tennessee Titans. They're not the same Tennessee Titans they were last year. They don't have A.J. Brown. They don't have Julio Jones. But who's Julio Jones? He barely played last year anyways. But nevertheless, they don't have A.J. Brown. It's not the same offense. They went to Tennessee and knocked off a good Tennessee Titans team. A game that nobody thought the Giants were going to win. And what does that tell you about Dable? The players are buying in. Are the Jets buying the team, the players, buying into Robert Sala? We've seen this. Herm Edwards, did they buy into Herm Edwards? Nope. If I go through each and every coach that they bought into, the last coach that the Jets bought into anything was Rex Ryan. And the only reason why they did is because Rex Ryan took the spotlight, spotlight out of his office players. It was all about him. Sexy Rexy. Mr. Clown himself. I know what the Brooklyn Nets are right now. Hmm. A bunch of clowns. Barclay Circus. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, we'll be talking to InsideTheBirds.com staff reporter, Andrew DiCecco. Andrew the Great DiCecco. Here on the Sports Loudmouths. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. This is the Sports Loudmouths. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. As you know, this is the Sports Loudmouths. 631-676-2978 is the number, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, 6723108. I'm sorry. Remember, you can go to our website at www.worldwidesportsradio.com. Download our app on iOS, WWSRN, or Android, Worldwide Sports Radio Network. I was ranting and raving about the New York Jets for the first half an hour of the show. And my second favorite team, we are going to be talking to a very great analyst. We are now talking to InsideTheBirds.com staff reporter, Andrew DiCecco. Andrew, what's going on, bud? Hey, how's it going, man? Appreciate you having me on. Absolutely. Before we get into your Eagles, how are you feeling? How is your family doing ever since the uh, whole COVID situation? Wow. You know, I really appreciate you asking me that. Uh, my family's doing well, all things considered. You know, uh, we were able to fortunately make it through the pandemic unscathed thus far. You know, um, just been very fortunate, man. It's, you know, obviously it's unprecedented times, but all you can keep doing is staying positive and 
you know, surgeon forward. How about yourself? Well, I had I had surgery. I had uh, hip surgery. If if everybody listens to the show, they know that I had hip surgery in September. Uh, I couldn't walk for at least a month. And mm-hmm. while I was going to physical therapy, I caught COVID and I had the Delta and I was very, very sick. And I lost like 30 pounds in about a week. Oh, man. It was horrible. I couldn't eat. I couldn't do anything. It was, and I was trying to run to the bathroom, but I couldn't walk, so I was crawling to the bathroom. If you know what I mean. <laughs> I'm so I'm sorry to hear that, man. But I'm glad to hear that you're doing well now. Absolutely. So why don't we get into your birds? I I was very excited to see this team play uh, in the beginning of the season. I love the additions of Jordan Davis. I love the additions of AJ Brown. Uh, this team had a very good draft. They really stood out. Uh, in the offseason, one of the better standouted teams in the whole NFL. Uh, what did you think about game number one against the Detroit Lions? They did lose control of the game in the fourth quarter, but uh, Jalen uh, Jalen Hurts proved that he could be a starting quarterback in this league. And really, the offense showed up early in the game. So what did you think about the Philadelphia Eagles? Well, from an offensive standpoint, by and large, man, I thought that their execution was nearly flawless. Obviously, from the offensive line, I thought that on the left side, Jordan Mailata and Isaac Samalu, or, or Landon Dickerson, excuse me, I thought that there were some opportunities there as far as protection breakdowns that they could have shored up a little bit, which caused Jalen Hurst to have to flush the pocket a little bit earlier than he would have liked and have to improvise and do things with his legs. But that's the X factor that Jalen Hurst presents, right? I mean, that's what makes him such a dynamic talent and gives the Eagles a chance to win every week. Obviously, they've added a lot of weaponry there in, in A.J. Brown and you have uh, a sure an offensive line that that is by and large one of the best in football, and you've added you have Devonte Smith there, who's now going to be the complimentary piece to AJ Brown. So in theory, he's going to see a lot of volume moving forward as some of the attention sort of uh, diverts away from him now. Uh, but I thought that they did. I thought Jalen Hurts did a great job navigating the offense. I thought that that was probably his best game as far as a maturity standpoint being able to make good and swift decisions with the football, protect it, not take those, not take those big hits with his running. I mean, he carried the ball, I believe it was 17 times. So that's not necessarily something that you want to see every week, but I thought he does. I think he does a really good job mostly of, of staying out of harm's way and getting down and protecting the football, throwing it away. These are different incremental improvements that I've seen from him. And it's allowed the Eagles to really prolong drives and, and, build really some continuity which you really didn't see last year as the offense was very choppy and and there's a lot of you know three and outs and and things like that that really affected the flow but I thought that the offense looks a lot more mature and really ready to make some noise here in the NFC. So Devontae Smith uh, no catches in that game one of our fans Carl also mentioned didn't have any touches either do you think that was more on the coaching or himself having trouble at the beginning of the year like he did last year? No, I, I just think that it's going to be ebbs and flows, right? I think there's going to be weeks where Devontae's going to see his catches and is going to see catches in bunches. I think this is just the way that the game script went. I There's a lot of com- uh, comfortability there with, with Jalen and A.J. Brown. They're very good friends. And there's if you have been paying attention at all, I don't know if any of your listeners have, throughout training camp, that has been – the connection. It was always the, the hurts to Brown hurts to Brown connection. And it looked very seamless. And you almost wonder if there was anybody else out there because that was how, that was how often they were connecting on big plays. 
And I, I just think that it, as, as everyone really starts to play together, remember the offense only played one series in the preseason, that opening series against the New York Jets. So there hasn't been a whole lot of – there's a lot of moving parts, and there hasn't been a whole lot of continuity there. And the first couple of weeks of the season are always a little bit turbulent in that teams are really finding their identity and really building that cohesiveness within their their respective units. I think that's not talked about often enough. And I think when you look at what the Eagles have there and trying to find a way to, to manufacture touches for all these dynamic weapons that they have in place, I think that's really what you're seeing. And I don't know that it would be a cause for alarm, let's say, if you were someone that had Devontae Smith on your fantasy football team. I think he's going to have weeks where he has monster weeks and, and really takes advantage of his single coverage and, and things of that nature. But it just wasn't in the cards this week. That's all. As everybody knows, we are talking InsideTheBirds.com staff reporter Andrew DiCecco. Andrew, this defense in the fourth quarter completely died. I don't know what happened. They gave up 14 points, the Detroit Lions, a, a, a team that's really starting to grow offensively. Uh, I like what they have. I like Brown. I like their running backs. I like Swift. I like everything that I've seen. And even Jared Goff, who I'm not a big fan of, everybody that listens to the show knows that I was never a big fan when he was drafted. He, I think, found the team that's going to take him to that next level as a quarterback. What were your thoughts to the Eagles' defense and really Detroit's offense in the fourth quarter? Well, I, I think I think both units really ran out of gas towards the end of the towards the end of that game. I think that was pretty evident. And again, that goes back to the lack of repetition in the preseason. So that's a that's a gift and a curse, right? You you emerge from the preseason healthy, but you also sacrifice those crucial reps. So you're really those first two weeks are essentially you're ironing out those deficiencies and working out the kinks. So that is essentially their, their preseason. So they're really working through a lot of things. And I think that you saw a lot of bend, but don't break. And then eventually it was in the lion's case, they broke on that Miles Sanders 24 yard run, which he met was met by linebacker, Derek Barnes at the middle. And then he really saw the crease behind left tackle, Jordan Mylotta and ran to daylight and was tackled by uh, Jeffrey Okuda. And that pretty much, you know, for all intents and purposes, sealed the, the game. But, you, you know, to your point about Jared Goff being in an offense that I think accentuates his strengths, that's an interesting point because I do think that without having someone like Sean McVay presiding over him, and Sean McVay is very heavy-handed and mm. very uh, – in the way that he manages his quarterbacks and the, you know, he, the, he has a certain – way that he wants things to be done and if you're a quarterback like Jared Goff I don't know sometimes that can be that can come off as a little bit overbearing and you're thinking too much and you're 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 not processing things as quickly and going out and playing as free as you ordinarily would so I think right now you're seeing him really be able to turn it loose if that makes sense and really facilitate the ball to his weapons and just play football I, I think that he's always just been just felt so confined to, to what Sean McVay wanted to do and, and really afraid to make a mistake and let it loose. And I think now you're seeing him play a little bit more free, if that's fair to say. Mm. So they had a brutal injury defensively in Derek Barnett going down likely for the season, but could come back towards the end of the season, maybe. But the Eagles' edge rushers always has been a big strength for them for a while. But now it all of a sudden looks like one of the bigger weaknesses on their defense with Barnett out now. So do you think they go after somebody outside, like a trade, or is there an interior piece maybe they can move around? Yeah, defensive line going into the season, to me, never struck me as, I mean, obviously the, the starting unit was very formidable, but when you look, when you peel back the layers of the onion, so to speak, and you see what they have there as far as depth, 
Derek Barnett was really a key cog in what they needed to do. And, and he's been off the line for his egregious penalties and, and just just his lack of restraint when he's out there on the field. Sometimes he plays and, and commits these egregious fouls, and he hurts the team more than he helps. But he was a defensive end that's played that started over 25 games in the NFL and was a great third edge rusher. Not to have that, now you're looking at a guy like Teron Jackson – who was a six-round pick out of, out of Coastal Carolina last season, he had a fine training camp, and, and I really like his pro potential, but I don't know that he's ready to you know, sort of surge up the depth chart and be the third defensive end, which is a, a crucial role in this defense. They're, they're going to ask a lot of that. You might see some Milton Williams, who was a multifaceted defensive tackle who they drafted from Louisiana Tech last year in the third round. He played some defensive end last year. Could see some positional versatility again. I think they might lean on that, but I do think that they need to go out there and address the position and get a look, at least kick the tires on a guy like a Jason Pierre-Paul, perhaps attack McKinley or an Alex Okafor or somebody to that effect, because you need guys that have played snaps in this league. But in the same token, you want to allow someone like a Teron Jackson to grow and get those reps, because if you don't, if you keep trying to find somebody to, you know, to, to, replace him or, or play in front of him, how is he ever really going to, to, to get those snaps and grow as a player, right? So I, I think that there has to be a, a balance there. and uh, But they, they need some experience because they're, after the, the two starters, uh, it gets really lean. So and, and for what the Eagles want to do and what Jonathan Gannon wants to run, you have to have a healthy rotation defensive lineman. Now, Andrew, we're going into Monday Night Football and the Eagles – are facing a, a team that a lot of people think could be one of the favorites to coming out of the NFC. They absolutely demolished Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers defense in game number one, and that's the Minnesota Vikings. Uh, I, you're, you're watching Jefferson turn into a superstar. Well, he was always a superstar, but he's becoming the best wide receiver in football. He's proven that now. Uh, Dalvin Cook and, and obviously – uh, Kirk Cousins and that offensive line. This this is one of the better offensive lines in football. One of the younger offensive lines in football. What are your thoughts going into Monday Night Football against a high flying power in the Minnesota Vikings? Yeah, I, I think you know high flying power is a proper way to really introduce the Minnesota Vikings. And the Minnesota Vikings, you know, I, I've mentioned this on on ninety seven three ESPN during my uh, during my breakdown of the different of the different divisions uh, before the season. And I thought that the Vikings had assembled a, a roster that's equipped to really make a, a, a significant playoff push based on the pieces that they had. I thought Justin Jefferson was really poised to make a serious run at being the offensive player of the year, which he was my pick to, to do so. And he had nine catches for 184 yards last week and on, on 11 targets. And you had Dalvin Cook who had 90 yards and Kirk Cousins who had 277 through the air. Alexander Madison, in my opinion, is the best backup running back in the NFL. So they have a, a gamut of weapons in a, in a, and they can beat you in a multitude of ways. And then you look at the defensive side and they've just stocked that, that whole defense with bona fide playmakers at all three levels. So, um, when you really look at what they what the Eagles are going to be up against, if you gave up 35 points to the Detroit Lions, you have to bring your A game and be ready to go and can't afford the, the margin forever is going to be so small on Monday night that they're going to have to make sure that they're that they come ready to play because 
Uh, Minnesota coming into Philly, it could end up being a shootout there, and you have to wonder how they're going to contain a guy like a Justin Jefferson. We haven't even mentioned the the Jalen Rager storyline, mm-hmm. who was, of course, was the Eagles' former first-round pick who was traded to Minnesota uh, before the season. Now, he's their punt returner right now, but I wouldn't be surprised if we saw some action on offense and really got him on, got him going to see if he can do some damage against his former team. So there's a lot of different storylines here to, to pay attention to, but I really do think that Minnesota, and I thought, I thought this before, even before the season, that Minnesota is, is such a viable contender uh, for, in the NFC this season. So out on the defensive side of the ball that we saw do very well against Green Bay, is there any particular matchups that you would think the Eagles offense can expose on that Vikings defense game planning wise? Mm, uh, Dallas Goddard to me you know, really sticks out. You know, looking at it, I mean, if you go back to the the 2017 uh, season, I guess in the playoffs when the Eagles played the the Vikings in the NFC Championship game, a guy like Zach Ertz really exposed Harrison Smith badly. So I think if you can find a way to get a Dallas Goddard, who's you know infinitely more athletic and more of a dynamic player than Zach Ertz, not the route runner that Zach is, but if you can get him isolated on a player like like Harrison Smith, who isn't necessarily the most fluid player at this stage of his career and make a guy like an Eric Kendricks uh, play in space a little bit and, and test that. I think that the Eagles, and I think that's the way to go. I think the Eagles will be able to exploit that middle, that short to intermediary levels of the field. And also I expect Jalen Hurst to be under siege based on what the the Lions did as far as a a blueprint and how to flush him out of the pocket and make him really win with his arm. I think you're going to see him have to dump the ball off quickly, which really lends itself favorably to Dallas Goddard and and being that that security blanket over the middle. And then I think also you could see him really threaten the seam there later in the game. So he would be my X factor. And I think that if you had to look at one area to exploit, that to me would be it. We are talking to the inside TheBirds.com staff reporter, Andrew DiCecco. Now, Andrew, now watching what has happened to the Dallas Cowboys in the NFC East, and they're going to lose Dak Prescott for a significant amount of time. So a lot of people are taking Dallas out. Uh, Washington, they look good in game number one. They really did. But uh, as they start to play the better teams uh, with their schedule, uh, very easy as well as the Eagles and the Giants. And then the Giants showing up in game number one and surprising everybody, knocking off Tennessee. Where do you see the Eagles fitting in in this division as what you've seen in game number one in week number one? Well, especially now, given the injury to Dak Prescott, and you hope all the best for Dak, you hate to see that happen to any player. I think that the Eagles really are the front runners to, you know, to win the NFC East and if they were able to stay healthy. Just given the, the, the firepower that they have offensively and, and the defense that I think is really going to start to come together in the next few weeks, I think they're really trying to build that cohesiveness, which we talked about in the beginning of the show just playing together. Remember there's guys like James Bradbury, there's Chauncey Gardner Johnson, who, who, who was a late acquisition. Um, you have a rookie in the Kobe Dean, all these different moving parts that are really trying to find their footing and find their roles, which I think will become more clear as we move forward. And I think that's really, that'll eventually catch up to the offense. But um, as far as what you see from, you know, at, at the full scope of the NFC East, I really like what Washington has done. Am I buying what Carson Wentz is selling? No, I, I've seen that story plenty of times. And uh, he's a very spotty quarterback, a very streaky quarterback. And a lot of his awards will show at the most untimely moments. And 
I think that you're gonna like you're gonna see the, the, the you're gonna see in in one game you'll see the great side of Carson Wentz and you'll see signs we were like is this guy a rookie or or you know like you'll you'll just be scratching your head. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as what the Giants do, I was really intrigued with what they were gonna do with Brian Dable. When I heard you mention Brian Dable before I came mm-hmm. on, as far as the impact that he was making that he's made so far, his imprint on the on the Giants, and I think they're the team. It's fair to say is really buying in to his philosophy. But I also think that Mike Kafka, the offensive coordinator, the newly minted offensive coordinator, is really adding some some new flavor and some new juice and optimism to that team. And I'm really interested to see how he's able to integrate all these different guys, the one Valley Robinson, uh, uh, Robinson and, and Saquon Barkley looks like he's back. And of course they have uh, Sterling Shepard, all these different guys. And I want to see how he's able to utilize them to the best of their ability. Um, so I think that they just have a lot more, uh, energy and a lot more life to them than we've seen in recent years. Uh, well, it was funny. You mentioned Carson Wentz. Carson Wentz is still the only quarterback to ever be booed by artificial crowd noise. I give your fan base a lot of credit for that. It was funny. So um, I'm going to ask the question that's divided Eagles Twitter, Eagles fans in general. Howie Roseman, he's a very strange GM, done a lot of good things and a lot of really bad things. So where do you stand on him as a GM? It's just overall. Well, and, and you know what, that, that's a very, uh, you're right, that's a very divisive, Howie's a very divisive uh, person in terms of, of, of where the fans lie, journalists, where we all, where, you know, we in the media lie. And you have to, you have to look at, I mean, you'd be remiss if you neglected to look at his misses, his downright whiffs in, in the draft, looking at it, and this has been beaten to death and driven home, the J.J. Ortega Whiteside in the second round in 2019, Sharif Miller, when a guy like a Charles Amenahue was sitting there and he ended up being a productive player in the rotation for Houston. Uh, J.J. Ortega Whiteside was on the board when D.K. Metcalf was still there, when Juan Thornhill, the safety who ended up going, the Chiefs was still there. Um, I mean, you just you can just go on and on and on about some of these, some of these whiffs, uh, Jalen Rager. So, but, you know, with all that said, they've, he's been able to sort of mask some of these, you know, glaring decisions with timely trade or savvy trades and, and, and free agent acquisitions, right? But that's not the way to build a roster for the long term, right? That's not sustainable. So I think that he's going to, I mean, I, I think he, he needs a little bit, uh, I mean, you have to, you have to hone in on, on some of his evaluation practices and uh, that, that he, obviously the draft is not a strong suit. You can't continue to assemble a roster and construct it based on outs- getting in outside help. You have to have some homegrown talent. And right now, the Eagles talking last season, and it looks like he's sort of righted that, at least in the interim. He has the right people around him now because I think that even Howie realizes that he needs a little bit of assistance when it comes to the, the evaluation standpoint and, and the draft process, And right? And and I think that he's he's taken those, those steps, and I think that you're seeing an Eagles roster – that's really building themselves up and setting themselves up to be uh, to be a force in the future. We are talking to InsideTheBirds.com staff reporter Andrew DiCecco. Last question for me, Andrew. Jalen Hurts. A lot of people were questioning his talent going into the season. As a quarterback, uh, a lot of people thought, hey, you know what? If he fails this year, you have two first-round draft picks next year. The quarterback class next year is infinitely better than it was this year, as we all know. So 
What are your thoughts so far, I mean, in the preseason games, uh, OTAs, and now in game number one? Do you think that Jalen Hurts is the answer to the Philadelphia Eagles, the quarterback that they've been craving for since you-know-who, Donovan McNabby? I followed him in Syracuse. That's why I am a second-to-Eagles fan, as everybody knows. I'm a Jet fan and an Eagles fan because of Donovan McNabb. Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. And to answer your question, I, I do think that Jalen Hurts is the quarterback of the future for the Philadelphia Eagles. And I'm going to tell you why. Jalen Hurts is a player who has continuously improved with every game and each rep and every season. The work ethic is never the question, right? He put in this offseason the work with Tom House, who, of course, has worked with Tom Brady. He's really attacked the offseason. He looks stronger, look, looks more explosive. His decision-making is improved. This is someone who realizes and recognizes that this is his season to really put his stamp on this position and, and be the quarterback of the future for the Philadelphia Eagles. That's not lost on Jalen. And he really attacked the offseason with with a resolve and – He's really galvanized the team. Galvanize, like he's, he galvanizes the, the the team. Like I, it's very it's very rare that I've seen like not probably since even before McNabb because I don't even think that McNabb was someone who really galvanized the no. locker room. No, certainly not. That just wasn't his his mm-hmm. makeup, right? I, neither that was the same goes for Carson. Once Nick Foles was the only the only player I can think of in recent memory that had all 53 players buy in and, and really want to go out there and put it, lay it all on the line for him. And that's because Jalen Hurts is a team first guy, but he's also someone that puts in the extra work and is a, is a leader and finds a way to get it done. He's a winner. I will and, say, I, I will say this. Donovan McNabb was their last franchise quarterback. Cause I, I, I didn't sure. think Carlson Wentz was, uh, every single quarterback they've had over the years, even with under Andy Reid, none of those guys really were that franchise quarterback. It wasn't since Donovan McNabb where you can honestly say they had a franchise quarterback, and maybe it is Jalen Hurts. I'm sorry I cut you off. No, no, that, that, that's that's fine. I mean, I, I think that the Eagles have surrounded him with talent. They've tailored an offense to accentuate his skill set, which – I mean, Jalen Hurts really is the the dual threat quarterback is really the, the wave of the future for the NFL. Mm-hmm. The pocket quarterback is is been the the prototypical. Everyone thinks that that's the prototypical quarterback, and and what and, and you need to be a certain way to to win at this level. But you're seeing guys like 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 Josh Allen be able to affect the game with his legs just as much as his arm, and and all these different guys, Lamar Jackson, Jalen Hurts, Pat Mahomes, even. Just across the board, you need to have that that second that that secondary option when things aren't going your way. And I think that he is an X factor, and he gives the Eagles a chance to win every week. And I think you're going to see him continuously improve throughout the season because that's what we've seen. I mean, we're going off of what we've seen, and that's what Jalen Hurts has shown uh, throughout his tenure as a starter. So you said about you that the Eagles should probably safely make the playoffs now with the NFC East woes with the other teams. But in the playoffs, who do you think would be the biggest threat to the Eagles matchup-wise in the NFC? Minnesota. Mm-hmm. Minnesota, definitely. I, I just think that uh, defensively, offensively, it, it's going to be a slugfest. And it wouldn't surprise me if this is a high-scoring affair on Monday night. I just, I just think that both teams are really equipped for the long haul. And it'll, I think that they're going to meet again. And I think that po- the Minnesota Vikings pose is the biggest threat for the Philadelphia Eagles. 
Andrew, really appreciate your time as always, and we would love to get you back on as the season progressively moves forward. And, and I would love to see where the Eagles lie, especially in the NFC East with the, the Giants with their easy schedule, Washington's easy schedule. And heck, maybe Dak Prescott does come back in four weeks. I doubt it, but maybe he shows up with a, a, you know, a bent finger tied to his index and he can throw a football. I doubt that's going to happen. And tell Jerry Jones that he's just absolutely insane because he should be on the IR. It doesn't make any sense, but that's Jerry well, Jones we for all, you. We all know that the NFC East is like the Wild West, so mm-hmm. it wouldn't surprise me. It seems like anything goes and anything can happen. So, you know, never say never. <laughs> Has it been a repeat champion since the, since the Eagles 03 and 04, I think it was. So, yeah. Well, Jerry, right. jo- Jerry Jones likes to show everybody his uh, – you know, his plans, including how he drafts and everything else. So might as well give everybody an inside look of what Dak Prescott's going to be when he comes back with his bent thumb or whatever the heck he's going to call it because he believes he's coming back in four weeks. I don't know what doctor would think that, but again, Jerry <laughs> Jones is the doctor. He's the king. He's the know-it-all. So there you go. We'll see what happens. I think it's going to be interesting to see how this whole thing shakes out in the coming months. Maybe Tua could train him how to throw lefty. (laughs) Maybe we'll have our our next guest, RJ, give us an explanation on what Jerry Jones has planned for Dak Prescott's return. (laughs) Oh, anyways, Andrew, thank you for joining us. You're awesome. Thank you. Yeah, sure thing, guys. Have a great night. Tell the fans before you go, tell the fans how they can find you on social media. Oh, yeah. Uh, you can find me at, at NFL A-D-I-C-E-C-C-O, NFL, on Twitter. And check out all my work on InsideTheBirds.com. You know, I got fantasy coverage, doing, you know, X-Factor pieces leading into the game, sort of like a quasi-scouting report each week. And then, of course, a story coming off the game. And there's so much great content. Podcasts from NFL insiders Jeff Mosher and Adam Kaplan every Monday, Wednesday, Friday, pregame show that they have with greg cosell and you know there's just so many different things you have to check it all out inside the birds.com has everything it's your one-stop shop for all things eagles well i'll tell you this uh we've had a couple of eagle eagles guys on our show and you my friend are good with your words and not only that you have the inside scoop on everything with the eagles so if you love the eagles you follow the eagles check him out andrew DiCecco. thank you andrew take care guys Wonderful guest. Good good catch there, Speedy. When we come back, we'll be talking to SB Nation's blogging the boys, editor-in-chief, RJ Ochoa. He will be returning. Love to know his inside scoop with Dak Prescott and the great Jerry Jones here on the Sports Loudmouths. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. This is the Sports Loudmouths. Welcome, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. You're listening to Sports Loudmouths. 631-672-3108 is the number. You go to a website at www.worldwidesportsradio.com. Download our app on iOS, WWSRN, or Android. Worldwide Sports Radio Network. We had an inside NFL Eagles guy on. And why not bring another NFC guy on? A guy that doesn't look very happy. I've been weeding. I've been weeding. I've been reading his Twitter uh, for the last twenty-four to forty-eight hours. It doesn't seem like a very happy writer. That's for sure. And now we have him on, a fan of the show, and we are we are a fan of his. We are now talking to SB Nation's blogging the boys editor in chief, 
RJ Ochoa. RJ, what's going on, bud? Uh, it's great to be with you guys. Contrary to popular belief, I'm in a stellar mood. I was able to secure a PS5 finally over the weekend, so I've got that going for me. Uh, but but outside of that, um, you know, it, it's a little bit grim as far as entertainment is concerned. <laughs> uh, that uh, will definitely sell to all the cowboy haters, that's for sure. But uh, why don't we get into your Cowboys? By the way, how are you feeling? Uh, the last time we had you on, COVID was going on. Uh, how are you and your family with that? All good. Um, you know, thank God. Um, everything's great. Um, you know, we have my wife and I have an almost 10 month old son. Congratulations. Uh, that's been a, a, a thank you. It's been a really, uh, really fun almost year. Um, just just kind of watching him, um, you know, learn and grow and become a little person. And so uh, our family's really full. And so um, it's, um, you know, everything else just just kind of falls at the wayside when you put it into perspective that way. So why don't we get into uh, your Cowboys? Because there's a lot of interesting takes I've been hearing all over social media, especially the Cowboy haters that are absolutely enjoying this because Dak is going to be out six to eight weeks. As we know, Jerry Jones thinks he's only going to be out for four weeks, but uh, Jerry Jones thinks he's a doctor, I guess, or whatever he calls himself. Uh, But uh, obviously we've seen some stupid things that have come out of Jerry Jones's mouth over the offseason. So why don't we get into it? How bad is Dak Prescott's finger, one? And two, how long does Jerry Jones really think he's going to be out for? Well, I'm not a doctor either. Um, So obviously, um, you know, my medical diagnosis um, should be trusted no more than Jerry's in that sense. Um, I mean, you know, in situations like this, I think you have to trust the medical professionals and, and, you know, the, the, the voices of, of the national big time insiders and, and everyone, every prominent insider on the local beat, every prominent insider on the national beat, every, you know, we have, you know, we live in such a great day and age where there's so many like Twitter doctors. And, and I mean, actual doctors, like actual PhDs, not, yeah. you know, people playing doctor um, are able to kind of analyze and assess and in their own way, diagnose what's going on. And so, I mean, it just six to eight weeks is 99 out of a hundred people believe that um, the, the hundredth is, is seemingly Jerry Jones um, <laughs> six to eight weeks also lines up, um, you know, most logically with the Cowboys schedule. Um, if it did wind up being on, on the longer end of that spectrum, um, you know, it would put Dak Prescott out through the five. So you can actually give him a little bit longer time, um, you know, kind of formulate your plan uh, from a football perspective. Um, so I would, I would guess that my, my own personal read on the situation is I don't think we see Dak Prescott until the Cowboys go to Lambeau field after their buy. Um, as far as what Jerry thinks, um, you know, there was no mention of of four weeks until uh, Jerry does two weekly radio hits on the home of the Cowboys, one Oh five through the fan, because why wouldn't he? Um, And as a, as a content creator, I'm certainly grateful for it. Um, But, uh, but in his first one on Tuesday morning, a a few hours before that, the first mention of four weeks popped up and it was Tom Pellicero of NFL network. Tom is awesome. Does an amazing job. I think it's worth mentioning. um, If you recall the, the McCarthy project, uh, specials that were airing. Tom Pellicero was the person who did that, who went to McCarthy's barn and, and you know, put all that together. Tom Pellicero last year had a one-on-two interview exclusively with Mike McCarthy and Dak Prescott out of training camp. So somebody who's clearly very close to the Cowboys was the first person to report that four-week timeline, and Jerry Jones reiterated it himself. It would be a grave mistake to do that, uh, to rush Dak back. I don't know how the Cowboys have a record that's kind of worth standing or salvaging, if you will, even four weeks from now. It, it looks... Um, it's, it's, our pets heads are falling off. I mean, this, this is DEFCON one. 
<laughs> so how do you think when he does come back, whenever he comes back, that he will come back? Because he also had the ankle injury a couple years ago, too, now having the hand injury, thumb injury. How do you think he will come back, and do the Cowboys have to ease him in, or do you think they go full throttle, depending on what the record is? I mean, I think it would have to be full throttle. I mean, you know, if, if you look at their schedule, you know, I don't know if you guys have it in front of you. But I we, have it right here, think yeah. Well, so we all think they're losing to the Bengals, so they're 0-2. I think if we're being generous, they split the, the two divisional games after that between the Giants and the Commanders. That puts them at 1-3. and three. They're losing out west to the Rams. They're 1-4. and four. They're losing to the Eagles on Sunday night. They're 1-5. and five. And then, again, I'll be generous and say they split those Lions and Bears games. So they're 2-6. and six. I mean, they're, they're 2-6. and six, And, I, you know, who knows what the division looks like. Maybe the Eagles are running away with it. Uh, maybe the Commanders have kind of found their footing, you know, obviously 1-0 so far as well. Everybody is. Um, so I, I don't know how they wouldn't rush him back, but it is difficult. And I don't mean to, to, you know, make excuses for Dak. It is difficult to properly evaluate him. Um, I, I, I don't know that the Dak injury is, um, as devastating to people in, in, in the non-obvious ways, just because it, it went predictably bad. I mean, you know, if, if you follow anybody who creates Cowboys content, I'm, I'm sure you, you guys have talked mm-hmm. about this. It was going to be this way. I mean, the, the way they built their team. Their offensive line was shoddy. Their receiver group was really shallow. And so, you know, what a big surprise. Dak Prescott was running for his life, having to throw into triple coverage. And so he looked really bad. I mean, it was among the worst games that he's ever played as the quarterback of the Cowboys. It's the first game since last season. And the second half of last season was really bad for him. I mean, it's we're a long ways removed from him playing some elite football. I don't know if that means that, that the elite quarterback that he once used to be is gone forever I don't know if, if the offense and the creativity and the talent around him has just withered I mean they are in a this isn't just the quarterbacks hurt they are in a very you know toxic sort of place as an overall team right now as everybody knows we are talking to SB Nation's blogging and the boys editor-in-chief RJ Ochoa so we're looking at quarterbacks that could be available and I, I'm looking at a list right now there's a name of Cam Newton out there Maybe he's expendable quarterback that you can bring in that could possibly help you for the next couple of weeks. Um, I'm I'm slowly looking at this list of we know Robert Griffin is now working for ESPN, so that's not going to help. Maybe Tyrod Taylor reaching out to the Giants. I don't know if the Giants are going to help the Dallas Cowboys, but Tyrod Taylor is a is a uh, a permittable quarterback that could play the position. Uh, uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick is another one. Do you see them bringing in a quarterback? I, I've been hearing Colin Kaepernick's name, too, which is crazy. And, and that's something Jerry Jones would do, something crazy. So is there any quarterback that you have heard through the grapevine where maybe they decide, hey, maybe we'll bring this guy in. He'll help us out for the next couple of weeks. I don't think so. I mean, the, you know, the party line is Cooper Rush won his only start for the Dallas Cowboys. And um, you guys might remember that game. It was a Sunday night football game a year ago um, against the Minnesota Vikings. And I think, you know, I'm a big believer in the Vikings uh, personally this year. The greatness that we saw from the Vikings a week ago is proof positive of how Mike Zimmer trapped that team for so long. And so, you know, Cooper Rush didn't beat the Vikings a year ago on Sunday night football. Mike Zimmer held them back and Cooper Rush was just able to kind of, you know, pull some strings and, and hang on for the ride. But, you know, you could argue that, that winning that game has served to the detriment of the Cowboys because they have talked themselves into Cooper Rush because he won that game. This is a position that they 
forever don't take seriously. I love the way a lot of teams handle backup quarterback. I loved that the Eagles traded for Gardner Minshew a year ago. I loved that the Buffalo Bills signed Mitchell Trubisky a year ago. I applauded the Cowboys two years ago when they signed Andy Dalton. That's the archetype I think you want. The young guy who's been there, done that, has some starts, obviously has seen it at the NFL level, just isn't a, you know, a, a bona fide starter anymore. You, you cannot you know, rely on a lottery ticket. That's what the Cowboys are doing. They're relying on Cooper Rush, somebody who this regime cut before they signed Andy Dalton actually mm-hmm. two years ago. He found his way back, and they're going to stick this thing out. I mean, consider that after Tyron Smith got hurt, I mean, that, that was already a mess because it was predictable and they had no depth because their, their swing tackle options had been so poor in the preseason. It took them two weeks to sign Jason Peters. I mean, I mean you know, mm-hmm. you, you would have thought that even after everything they didn't do at, at tackle, that the day Tyron Smith got hurt, they would have said, OK, white flags up. We got to do it. We have to bring in somebody. We're up against it. We painted ourselves into a corner. No, they waited two weeks till Monday of last week was when they officially signed him. And so, I mean. They have no intentions of doing anything here. Cooper Rush is their guy. And then when it doesn't work, they'll say he has to step up. He has to do more. C.D. Lamb has to step up. Zeke Gullit has to step up. It's everybody else's fault. One of our Cowboys fans was actually mad they drafted C.D. Lamb and wanted to draft Xavier McKinney. So maybe the Giants could trade Tyrod Taylor and McKinney for C.D. Lamb. <laughs> what do you think about that? Maybe they'll save their quarterback. Never going situation. to happen. I know it's never, never. going to happen, but who knows? The NFC East does crazy things. So I wanted to ask you now about Mike McCarthy specifically because his days back to Green Bay, too. He's always been a pass-first guy using a lot of the three-receiver sets, and now they're kind of in the situation where they're going to have to do the opposite now. They have – Two running backs that are definitely capable. Obviously, Zeke's not what he was. But do you think that'll have to be the adjustment to try to play more like 2016, where Dak was kind of more of a – he was rookie of the year, but he still was more of a game manager type, like above average but not great quarterback. By the way, the Zeke ball. should have been rookie of the year that year. I think so too. But nevertheless, mm-hmm. do you think they have to go to back to that style or do you think they have to maybe try to adjust with McCarthy? Uh, well, first, Zeke was offensive player of the year, yeah. so and he was a rookie. Um, yes. So, you know, it's one of those weird things, the way the NFL hands out awards. Doesn't make sometimes. sense. <laughs> uh, right. Um, I mean, you would think, but, but their offensive line is banged up. I mean, you know, Tyler Smith, to his credit, played well at left tackle uh, last week. Awesome. Cool. But Tyler Smith was supposed to be this team's starting left guard before Tyron Smith got hurt. So Tyron Smith gets hurt. Tyler Smith has to kick out to left tackle. So they promote Connor McGovern, who was supposed to be their highest point of interior depth. Connor McGovern suffers a high ankle sprain against the Buccaneers. So now they're down to their third option at left guard, their second option at left tackle. They're kind of talking like they want to bench their right tackle and Terrence Steele in favor of Jason Peters, who they seemingly signed to play left tackle. But now because their first round pick rookie had a great one game, you know, performance. <laughs> now all of a sudden they're willing to, to plant him there and move Jason Peters over. So, um, I mean, theoretically, I agree with you, and, but, but theoretically, you know, none of this matters because the Cowboys don't, you know, use both of their running backs. People are, are kind of dragging Tony Parr this week because, Hey, look, he finally got some touches and pick up yards. That game was a disaster. Like it wasn't a fair opportunity for Tony Parr. And beyond that, I mean, the Cowboys insist on, you know, triple option, reverse pitches to, to incorporate Tony Park. <laughs> just hand him the ball. Just, you know, just just hand him the ball. They, they do not believe in utilizing fast, special, dynamic players. And another example of that, you know, because, hey, you, you got to run the ball. You got to get creative. I'm sure you guys heard the name Cavante Turpin. Mm-hmm. Had two return touchdowns in the preseason. They're, they're going to use him, guys. Watch out. They're going to use him on offense. Zero offensive touches against the Buccaneers last week. So, I mean, they – they want to live and die by feeding Zeke, and, and maybe that works. But there is a mountain of evidence and data to suggest that it won't. But, hey, maybe they are the one out of 100 again. 
We are talking to SB Nation blogging the boys, editor-in-chief, R.J. Ochoa. R.J., Mike McCarthy, you mentioned him just a few moments ago. This could be his final year because there's a guy lurking in the woods or in the bushes named Sean Payton. He is a guy that uh, Jerry Jones loves very, very much. He's a guy that uh, the Cowboys have been looking to bring in for years, even when he took that uh, extension with the Saints. What have you heard over the last couple of weeks uh, with Mike McCarthy's job? And he, is he on you know, the plank right now? And is he going to jump if he, he doesn't get this team in the playoffs this year? I'm not the biggest Mike McCarthy fan. Um, I mean, obviously last year was impressive, um, but but the team really adopted this kind of bad energy, complaining about officials and, and things like that, and that really stemmed from him. Um, and and look, the guy's got a Super Bowl ring, right? Like he can walk and talk in ways that a lot of people can't in in, in this industry. Um, but I and so while I'm not a big fan of his, I feel greatly for him on, on a human level. I mean, he was put in, in such a difficult position this year with way, the way the Cowboys built this roster. I mean, Chris Collinsworth was was dragging their team building philosophy on the broadcast. Like, like name, name a team where that happens. Like, like you know, name, name a team where, where that where they're so openly questioned by the world. There's not a person out there who is like, you know what, guys, this was the right way to go. You you understand what's happening here. Um, so I feel for Mike McCarthy. The Sean Payton thing is, is really just fodder, but it's fodder the Joneses have created by, by their interest in him. So while they can say everything they want, I mean, you know, you mentioned that Sean is lurking in the shadows. I disagree. Sean knows what he's doing. Sean, Sean knows the game. Last week, Sean, uh, in previewing the Cowboys-Buccaneers game, went on Kay Adams' as a new show um, and said, Dan Quinn is awesome, you know, threw a lot of praise <laughs> around for Dan. Didn't mention Kellen Moore's name. Didn't mention Mike McCarthy's name. Sean Sean knows how to dance. I mean, and and I don't I don't even know that I believe Sean wants the Cowboys job because why would you? If if you're somebody who believes that the Cowboys are sabotaging their their Super Bowl winning head coach in the name of bringing somebody else in, why would you want to get in bed with that? Um, but what I do believe is that Sean Payton wants another job. Maybe that's the Dallas job if it becomes available. And I believe that connecting yourself to the Dallas Cowboys is a profitable thing. We see a lot of players do that in free agency, and they wind up getting the bag elsewhere. Zedarius Smith was one of the people who did it this offseason before he signed in Minnesota. They even said on the broadcast between the Vikings and Packers game that he specifically wanted to go to Minnesota for the opportunity to play the Packers twice. So why did we hear rumblings that he was connected to the Cowboys to up the price tag that the Vikings had to play? That's just, you know, kind of the way this thing goes. And so... I, I don't know how this goes for McCarthy. I, other, I mean, I, I don't, if I simulated this a thousand times, I think it goes poorly a thousand times. There's just <laughs> not a way that, that, that he climbs his way out of this. Um, I think the last, you know, kind of smash the glass, press the panic button move that, that he kind of has is maybe firing Kellen Moore, um, who he was saddled with. I mean, I, I, you know, Kellen Moore was in place before he got there. And he can objectively make the claim that, hey, look, I'm an offensive guy. This is, you know, look at my pedigree. Look at my, look at the ring on my finger. And you, you never let me run my offense. I had to do this thing with Kellen Moore. And I, you know, I, I'm not encouraging or advocating firing Kellen Moore. But you know what, Mike, dude, go out swinging. Like, don't don't just sit here and watch this pitch. Take play calling back. And if it doesn't work, fine. But at least you can live with yourself knowing that you gave it your all. But if you're just going to stand by and watch Kellen Moore drive this thing into the ground, then maybe you want the dude who was supposed to be here. 
Sean Payton might have been onto something. Kellen Moore was almost the Dolphins' head coach. <laughs> if Week One's any indication, they made the right decision on their head coach. <laughs> and Dan Quinn was almost the Vikings' head coach, and they did a great job in Week One with their coach. So the Broncos, not so much, even though Quinn was close to going there. But so my question is with Jerry Jones. You mentioned the team culture being a big issue. That he continues to reach on some players in the draft with off-field issues. Sam Williams being the latest one in that in the second round. So is that something that you think is going to be a big issue for the Cowboys too, in terms of player development, trying to rebuild this roster, especially with some of the suspensions? we've seen being handed down now. Um, The Cowboys have avoided the suspension bug this year. Uh, You know, obviously they they generally kind of have somebody for for something or another. Uh, Sam Williams, I think, has done all the right things so far. And for what it's worth, Micah Parsons, obviously that has worked out. There are obviously a number of examples that have burned the Cowboys, but there have been examples of players who had no character concerns that worked out or didn't work out. I mean, it's, the second round is all about, I mean, I would say value. It's all about trying to get immense value for the Cowboys. You can look historically at all of their second round picks. They're trying to get a second first round pick. This guy's really a first round pick. He would have gone in the first round if not for X, Y, or Z. They've done that for years. And Sam, I think, is going to be fine. They they needed to do that. You know, they said that they, they didn't draft for need. Their first three picks were an interior lineman, a pass rusher in Sam Williams, and a wide receiver. Well, in the offseason, they let Lyle Collins go. They didn't re-sign Connor Williams along the offensive line. They traded away Amari Cooper, and they couldn't get things done with Randy Gregory. They literally addressed all of their needs. And so they, they, they spew this out like people don't have access to the Internet. And don't have, like, like, all you need is Wikipedia, and you can figure this out and put this puzzle together. Um, but but they, they really think that they're smarter than everybody else in that sense. And, you know, you mentioned Sam Williams, but their other day two pick, Jalen Tolbert. All offseason long, we're not worried about Amari Walken. We're really excited about Jalen Tolbert. We really think he's going to be amazing. And I personally do as well. But he was a healthy scratch last week. And I don't think that that spells doom for his career. But it, it, the Cowboys came out and said, well, we threw too much at him right away. Well, yeah, of course you did. You traded away Amari Cooper for nothing. I mean, like, <laughs> you put this dude in a, in a difficult situation. And so, I mean, again, that kind of goes back to, well, now Jalen sucks because Jalen couldn't handle everything we threw at him. You know what Jalen wouldn't have to do if, if Amari Cooper were on this team? Everything. If, if Amari Cooper were on this team, Jalen could come along at a slow, normal pace. Um, and, and so – it's really Jerry Jones had the quote last week about one and one making three. They haven't made two out of one and one. And I don't even know how long you were speaking about the wide receiving woes that the Cowboys have. And there's a lot of woes there. I mean, CD lamb, he was getting double team last week. Uh, he didn't look very, very good. Uh, you have Amari Cooper playing over there in Cleveland. So sayonara to him. There really is no second wide receiver. You lost Wilson as well in the offseason. He goes and heads over there to Miami. There is nothing there. There really isn't. And and now, without Dak Prescott, who do they have that could throw the ball to, you know, obviously CeeDee Lamb, and then throw it to these rookie wide receivers that are just growing, you know, growing into position? So where are the Cowboys at? Why don't they go after Denzel Mims? Why don't they go after... Uh, one of these young wide receivers that are go- become available on other teams. You could have given, you could have gave the Jets a fourth round draft pick and, and added Denzel Mims and a guy that I believe could be a significant piece to the Cowboys offense. And he's very good. I'm telling you, as a as a Jet fan, the Jets are stupid not having him in the game. Why aren't the Cowboys doing something like that, making a move for a Denzel Mims for a fourth round draft pick? I mean, the questions you're asking are all headlines from bloggingtheboys.com yeah. over the last few months. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I can't answer that. I, I mean, you, you asked who's the second player. It's Michael Gallup. That's, that's the well, guy. Well, he's not playing but, right but now. But again, yeah. 
I know, but that's that's the thing. Like they're, they're com- continually relying on being the exception, on on being the one, three out of one and one. Don't panic. Don't worry about us not having receivers. Michael Gallup's he's coming back from a torn ACL. He's gonna be amazing. I, I like you know, and he might be right. Like like there's a world, you know, there's a timeline or a, a multiverse where Michael Gallup returns and all of a sudden you know goes off for 200 yards a game. That's possible. It's also possible that because he tore his ACL last year, he kind of needs some time to get back in, into the groove of things. They signed James Washington. Whoa, watch out. Super awesome dude in Pittsburgh. But, you know, he, he really didn't have anybody to throw him the ball. Thank <laughs> God we have Cooper Rush because now this dude's really working with something special. <laughs> and, but, but, you know, to that point, James Washington was a big part of their plans, the way Jalen Tober was. James Washington got hurt on, like, the third day of camp. So you would have thought they would have said, hey, you know what? This was a dumb plan, and the plan fell apart. Let's go get a new plan. They didn't. James Washington was the faulty plan. You know what they did do after that? They signed Cavante Turpin. Don't worry, guys. We're going to get him offensive touches. Again, not a single one against the Buccaneers. They are relying. I mean, it sounds like I'm joking or trying to be funny. No. It's just the, the total, complete truth. They're relying on Dak Prescott saving them and CeeDee Lamb overcoming triple coverage because he's awesome. He's CeeDee Lamb. He's amazing. And he might be. Like, he might be Calvin Johnson going off every single week. But the, the problem with them is they don't safeguard or plan for, you know, what if plan A goes wrong? What if plan B goes wrong? What if plans A through Y go wrong? They, they don't believe in that. They, they are a one-stop shop. Only the best possible things will happen. And if they don't, well, <laughs> hey, how is it really our fault? Plus, I mean, we were the highest-rated game of the week, so we're doing fine. The lights <laughs> are staying on. CD Lamb could be Calvin Johnson. All he has to do is gain 30 pounds of muscle and then just get that uh, that sticky stuff in Little Giants on the, the that black sticky stuff, and then maybe he'll be Calvin Johnson. There's there's still hope. He doesn't have a chance. And <laughs> I love CD Lamb. That's exactly my point. And I love CD Lamb. <laughs> so, so my question is about the defense. They actually played very well against the Buccaneers. The Buccaneers, granted, had some injuries offensively. Chris Godwin left the game after it seemed like he was going to be healthy uh, after after the big hit, bad injury he had last year, but still. They actually played well, hung tough for a while. So what impressed you the most about that defense, the way they played? I mean, just their, their ability to kind of hang with Tom Brady. And I'm anxious to see what, what Tom looks like this week and what the Bucks' offense looks like. I mean, if they go off against New Orleans, I'll, I'll feel better about that. Uh, it was nice to see Micah Parsons. I, I mean, we've talked so much about regression to the mean coming for him. Nice to see him get two sacks and, and kind of prove to be what will hopefully be an exception there. But cool. You, you got one of the, you know, hundred exceptions that you were, you know, banking on happening this year. Um, so that was impressive, but you know, that, that formula just isn't sustainable with this, this weak offense. Um, you, you can't be the 2006 Chicago bears and just score on defense every single week and, and have your quarterback stay out of the way. It's, it's not going to happen. As everybody knows, we are talking SB Nation, blogging the boys, editor-in-chief, friend of the show, RJ Ochoa. RJ, one of the fans have a very interesting question for you. Uh, RJ, how much, do, how much do you drink watching the Cowboys fall from face, uh, from, I don't know what this means, but fall face on their, f- fall on their face each year? So what are, what are your thoughts uh, with them drinking, your drinking habits when they fall on their face every single year? Uh, I'm a big fan of hydration, so I'm all about the H2O. Um, I'm a professional, so I, I've got a job to do during the games. Um, so that's that's just kind of how I roll. But 
Um, yeah, I mean, you know, I'd like to, to kick back and relax when the Cowboys aren't on primetime tomorrow. Thursday night football will be a nice, you know, night to have, you know, who knows what. I'm open to any kind of recipes you have. It's the fall. Like, I, I want something that, that makes it feel warm inside my throat, especially when we get down to the World Series when the Astros are beating the Mets. Astros are beating the Mets. Oh, he's an Astro fan. Uh, <laughs> all right, I'm a Mets fan, so I hope it gets oh, the other way around. Hold on. Hold on hold one second. So is that what you think the World Series is going to be? The Astros versus the Mets. I like um, your optimism. <laughs> I thought I thought that for a long time. I mean, so I've just kind of like, you know, that's what's been planted in my brain. Mm. I also like it would be more interesting for me. I mean, like Astros Dodgers was cool. And, you know, I, I want to keep that precious memory. Like, it'd be awesome to beat the Dodgers again and, be, and beat this Dodgers team. Uh, but like, let's mix it up. You know, and I, it's always kind of cool when you get two teams with like the same color scheme. So that would be a lot of blue and orange happening. Like, what are you trying to rackets, blind me? Cool. I hate both teams. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 well, you would root for the Mets. I, I would know you. 100% <laughs> root for the Mets. I mean, and I don't hate the Mets. I, I, I root for the Mets if, if the Yankees aren't in the playoffs. I, out of all the teams that, you know, the opposite teams in New York, I, out of all the sports, I would root for the Mets because they never win. And I, I want to see the, the Mets fans actually have a chance and, and, and have something to cheer about. I mean, the Yankees have cheered for years. You know, every single decade the Yankees win a championship, except the last, uh, I guess you could say the last 11 years. Errol's also uh, still recovering from the NBA Finals when he had oh to root God. for the Celtics oh, against please. the Warriors. Oh, please, man. I, I can't stand. the with, with professional sports, the way it's moving, and some of the crazy stuff, not only in basketball, but now in football and baseball with the crap that we're hearing now with the new rule changes. I'm just, I'm tired of it. Just play the damn game. I, I, I'm, lo- I'm ready looking. I'm already looking for week week two because after watching week number one and all the upsets and and me playing in my suicide pool and losing all three uh, three uh, three games, I I'm just completely had it with the NFL season already. And watching the Jets just completely lay up a lay up a. I didn't think the Jets were going to win. I I absolutely didn't. But the fact the way they played throughout the game, it made me sick to my stomach. I, I'd rather watch the Cowboys play than watch the Jets. Okay. Um. Well, you know, I'd I'd put put the misery we're experiencing up there. So I, mm. I'd caution you to you know be jealous of this life. Mm. Uh. But <laughs> no, I mean, look, in a weird way, um, you know, if the Cowboys were, were going to be this disastrous, you know, do this in Week One. Allow allow me to emotionally disconnect. You know what I mean? And, you know, hey, I'll, I'll come in and enjoy the games and whatnot, have a good time. But you've, you've recalibrated our expectations. We can let go of the foolish, hey, maybe they win the Super Bowl. It's possible. No, like now I'm free. You know what I mean? I can enjoy the Vikings. I can enjoy the World Series when it gets here. I cannot worry about all this extra stuff going on. I am like Dobby the Elf, and the Cowboys gave me a piece of clothing. Well, now you can watch all the Netflix series that you've missed, Stranger Things, mm-hmm. you know, uh, The Imperfects. So, I, I mean, there's, there's some interesting series now. So, you know, when you're, you're sick of watching the Cowboys play, you pop on a series and enjoy that. I mean, you and your wife. So, And you sit down with little what, – what's your son's name? His name is Roel. Roel, okay. You and little Roel, you have him in your arms and just enjoy Stranger Things or something. Have you watched Stranger Things? I haven't finished, like, season three. That um, admittedly fell at the wayside. So, you know, at this point, I'm a little too far out. But, um, you know, there's other stuff. We got, we got lots of options, like you said. There you go. If there's an Astros-Mets World Series later on, uh, we'll bring you back on the show Please. if you predict that. I, I, I really hope that. I like your happen. optimism. I'm a Mets fan, but I have some worries about them. I do not want to see the Astros in the World Series again. I, I don't want to get sick. 
but that's just oh. me. So my question is about Ezekiel Elliott. There was a rumor about a month ago that it seemed like no matter how he performed this year, they were going to either let him go at the end of the season or maybe trade him at the trade deadline. So what are your thoughts on that and that uh, corresponding moves? I just I can't see a world where they trade Zeke. Steven Jones did make a comment after the draft about making a lot of money. So they're clearly very aware that they can get out of the contract. I think that they have finally recognized that, that it was not the most wise move as far as team building strategy is concerned. Um, Tony Pollard is a, a free agent um, in, in the offseason. So I think they move on entirely. And I think, you know, if they do, if they are looking for a new head coach, I think I think we're seeing a complete, outside of Dak Prescott, CeeDee Lamb, Micah, the kind of obvious young dudes and, and the quarterback, uh, we're seeing a, a, a complete and total reset. And, and there's a huge argument to be made that, that they kind of need that. Well, RJ, we really appreciate you joining us. And I'm going to write a letter to Jerry, and I'm going to ask him to hire you as the GM because I think there there's a lot of emotion coming from you, and I think you have a little bit more understanding on how a team should be run because for some reason Jerry Jones has his you know what up his rear end and he thinks that hey you know what I'm gonna pull out some daisies here and this is gonna work and that's going to work and hey maybe we'll win the world we'll we'll win, we'll win the Super Bowl and maybe I'll, I'll I'll put my football team into you know the the NBA, the MLB and, and try to win a World Series I have no idea what this man thinks but uh, there's a lot of craziness coming out of that man's mouth, and uh, unfortunately, it doesn't bode well for Cowboy fans. But thank you for joining us, my friends. I appreciate it. I, uh, I'll be GM of the Cowboys and, in my spare time, GM of the Astros because, um, <laughs> look, Dusty, play Trey Mancini. Put him at first. You know, we all love Yuli. We're all grateful, but, you know, we're, we're after hits. Let, let Christian Vasquez catch. We don't need, you know, Maldi's. Cool and nice. I'm glad he's friends with the team. Dusty's we're older after- than dirt, okay? We're, I, I, yeah, we're after. We're but he's after so younger than Jerry. I appreciate you guys having me. I hope you uh, you enjoy the fall. It is a fun time, obviously, even if your teams like ours are disappointing. So um, health, wealth, and happiness to you guys. Absolutely. You. you two and your son and your family. Mm-hmm. Say hello to your wife. And by the way, we'll get you on before the season's over. Maybe the Cowboys prove you wrong. Maybe they do win a couple. Now, just of remember, games. Astros Mets World Series. If that, if that happens, I, he's on. I would love that. Yeah, I'll be here. I mean, look, we're all pretty confident the Astros are winning the American League. I'm oh, sorry, who's confident? I mean, Hold on one second. I mean, well, who's I mean, confident? I'm not confident. I, I'm I mean, a Yankee fan. <laughs> Hold on one second. Hold I hope on. you enjoy um, the, the season of Aaron Judge that will be squandered, but that's okay. You oh, know what I mean, we'll all, we'll oh. all have our we'll all have our things. Well, let, we'll let's. Have that and, I guess we're, we'll have this Twitter uh, attacking war uh, when uh, the playoffs start. And if I, somehow the I, Yankees I, knock off your Houston Astros, uh, maybe we'll fly over there to Dallas and you'll take us out for, you know, food and some of that uh, Dallas barbecue. How's that sound? I really I'm down with that. I really just I really think like we need a, a Astros Yankees ALCS. Yes. Like like the sp- like this let's just do it. Like yes. you know what I mean? Like I'm gonna be so disappointed if like the Blue Jays ruined this or something. It's not gonna happen. Um so I mean, you know, but um but all right. So um y'all have a great week. And, y'all um, well Roll Tide. Well so, Roll yeah. Tide <laughs> Barely survived. <laughs> He's an Alabama fan, too. That's great. I love it. Barely survived, <laughs> Alabama. <laughs> Texas clo- choking in classic Texas fashion almost oh, Jay, ruined it, which, been, which ruined the greatest, what would have been the greatest headline because Texas kicker has the last name of Auburn, so it would have been Auburn beats Alabama before the Iron Bowl. He's if Texas funny, was man. able to hold on, but no, they couldn't do it. He is, and I was 
reading some of the things that some of our uh, our fans are writing on social media, and uh, I just RJ is definitely a personality. Mm-hmm. He really is. But uh, some of the things that he wrote on Cowboys uh, Twitter pages and stuff like that. Definitely uh, an insight. If you're a Cowboy fan and you want to read a realist, a realist Cowboy writer, you definitely have to check out RJ. Uh, Carl, I'm not hating on Bama. I was hating on Texas for ruining the best. what would have been the best headline if they were able to hold on and win that game. Well, Notre Dame's going to be looking for a new coach in the offseason. <laughs> Notre Dame's going to be looking for new everything. And, and, and Brian Kelly will probably uh, – Find his way out over there in LSU very, very soon, too, because I don't think that's working. How to block way. an extra point. Nope. <laughs> nope. That's not going to happen. You, you, you can't take uh, – you could take Brian Kelly oh, off of Notre Dame, man. but you can't take the Notre, Brian Kelly off of Notre Dame completely. And then you can carry over the late game primetime blowing of LSU. How to block an extra point, ruining what would have been a perfectly good miracle. And apparently the Bengals carry that over one Tiger to another. Oh, there you go. Uh, so why don't we get into – uh, the the whole week one of football because there was a lot of things that happened in week one and and really speedy got some music I so do. all right so play some music Let, let's go through each game speedy and uh, your we'll we'll go through your thoughts and my thoughts we'll banter back and forth through each game and where we think some of these teams are rolling going into week two all right so first game we're gonna get into uh, we talked uh, we we spoken. A lot about the uh, New York Jets, so let's get off that. Uh, let's go into Saints in Atlanta. Speedy, you first. I actually had the Falcons in this upset, and they looked looked like they were going very good for a while, but all of a sudden their fourth quarter get-too-conservative approach really took over defensively once again. New defensive coordinator, and the Saints, give them credit. The, Jameis Winston completed some very good passes down the stretch. I think he did a great job spreading the wide receivers out, and Michael Thomas looked like the old Michael Thomas again. We were talking about it with the Giants earlier with Saquon Barkley. Michael Thomas looks like he's back, not maybe as a top-five receiver like he used to be, but at least going to be a top-15 type receiver. Well, Jameis Winston Winston had a good game, 23 for 34, 269 yards, two touchdowns. That stood out. They used Taysom Hill in a running formation. That was something very interesting uh, with the new coaching staff. Uh, Four carries, 81 yards, one touchdown. So you see what they're doing. You're using uh, Taysom Hill as as another running back on the field. Alvin Kamara did not have a good game. Uh, Nine carries for 39 yards. But... There were, there were some interesting things that really stood out. One was Jarvis Landry, who had a sensational game in his first year uh, and first game as a, a Saint. Uh, something that we didn't see last year with the Cleveland Browns, Jarvis Landry was fighting a lot of injury, uh, but he's healthy this year. He's excited to be over there uh, in uh, the, the great uh, city of Louisiana. And, and, and to me, I think Jarvis Landry could be a, a nice burst and, and a nice uh, personality in the locker room for this Saints team. What really stood out to me with the Falcons was, where was Kyle Pitts in this game? Okay? He's, to me, one of the best tight ends in football. Two carries for 19 yards is not enough. Uh, this is a guy that should be seeing the ball every other time. And the fact that Mar- Marcus Mariota wasn't feeding the ball, I understand that teams are double-teaming and triple-teaming him. That's not an excuse. And I understand that Cordell Patterson had a very good game as, as far as a running back. But you need to open up the field. And, and to me, with a rookie wide receiver in, um, I'm sorry, Drake London. Drake London, who played all right. He didn't play great. Uh, Kyle Pitts is a guy that you have to open up the field with. And they didn't do that. And being that they were in the game and going into the fourth quarter when they had the lead, if they gave the ball to Kyle Pitts and ran the ball a little bit better in the fourth quarter, 
they would have won the game and they would have knocked off the Saints. So I wasn't surprised that the Saints came back and won the game, but I was surprised that Atlanta was in the game as long as they were. Yeah, uh, you mentioned Mariota, too. He usually uses his tight ends, too, which is surprising with Tennessee. Yeah. So that was weird. It, it was definitely weird. So um, I'm trying to get the weeks over here. Speedy, pick another game. Because All right, my so thing, I got the, I got the Browns my, and the Panthers. My oh, computer froze. Oh, did yes. it? Damn. Yeah. All right, so Browns and the Panthers. Cleveland winning at 26-24, to a game-winning field goal. Where did the kickers actually make a game-winning field goal after all those misses we had this week? 26-24, uh, to 24, they won it. Baker Mayfield looked like he was leading a game-winning drive, but their Panthers defense definitely blowing it. So... Interesting game. I was a lot higher scoring than I expected. I thought this was going to be kind of a low-scoring game, no matter who won the game. The Panthers' run defense was is bad for what their normally standards were. They were fourth in the league last year and were very impressive. The Browns were able to run, and Christian McCaffrey was good, but not consistent enough. I think that was one thing that hurt the Panthers. They had that one deep shot Baker Mayfield had to Robbie Anderson. So Robbie Anderson carrying the uh, revenge tour games of week one, going back to last year with Sam Darnold, but that was really the only thing he did. But Cleveland's able to contain DJ Moore in this game, and offensively they look pretty good spreading the ball around. Jacoby Brissett, I give a lot of credit. I mentioned at the beginning of the season, like the Browns will be able to hang tough because he knows how to win and if the game is close. And I think he played well in this game, considering how good the Panthers' defense is when healthy. First of all, I thought Baker Mayfield was going to go and have a game that really surprised people for 300 and some odd yards, three touchdowns, and win a game against a team that definitely are capable of beating. Uh, a Cleveland Brown team is with Jacoby Brissett. He didn't have a record-breaking game, and I, I want to give a shout-out to Jacoby Brissett for all the trials and tribulations he's been through in his career. And then after, at the end of the game in the press conference and uh, really showing his personality and his his understanding of where the game is and how hard it is to play in the NFL, uh, I, I have a lot of respect for Jacoby Brissett. But the Panthers just didn't show up in the game. Christian McCaffrey, 10 carries, 33 yards. He did have a touchdown. Didn't have a good running game. They didn't feed him the ball enough. DJ Moore, where the hell was he in the game? Three catches for 43 yards. Uh, Robbie Anderson had a game, uh, five catches for 102 yards. But uh, this is a team that needs to open up the field a little bit more against a Cleveland Brown team that really, even though defensively they're built to win, offensively uh, with Jacoby Brissett, they're, they're really a, a one-dimensional team. They have Amari Cooper as your wide receiver. They do have some tight ends, but tight ends uh, that really don't stay healthy. Uh, but all in all, this is a running team. If you know that Chubb is going to run the ball and you know that obviously Hunt's going to run to run the ball, you know what – their offense is going to be. How could you give Nick Chubb 22 carries for 141 yards? It doesn't make any sense. And then Kareem Hunt, he did these things in the open field, which you expect uh, a running back slash wide receiver could do. And that's why Cleveland won a very, very close game against uh, the Carolina Panthers. All right, Steelers 23, Bengals 20. They win it at overtime after I mentioned I watched that game. It made the, me uh, sick. The, uh, the blocked made extra points. sick. After Jamar Chase had a beautiful toe tap to it. Uh, that was just, you're right. It made you sick, and it probably made a lot of other fans sick. Actually, it literally made a Bengals fan sick. It literally threw up in the stands. But nevertheless, it was a sloppy game. But I don't think really both either team really proved a lot in this game. It was a game of field goals, a game of sloppy turnovers, just really bad play calling both ways. And this is one of the things I was concerned about with the Bengals in the playoffs last year. Zach Taylor looked like he was holding them back a lot of the time, too, with his play calling, stalling in the red zone a lot, and you can't have these kinds of games. I know the Steelers' defense is good. I'm not saying it's not, but that's one of those things that could hurt you down the road if you the Bengals should be this high potent offense. They are. Get into the end zone more, and they weren't able to do that. I thought his play calling, especially in the first half, was awful in that game. The Steelers hung their own. They weren't supposed to be doing anything special, especially when Najee Harris Give a lot of hurt. credit to Mitchell Chapinski. Yeah. He didn't make any mistakes. He didn't have one of those 
game-breaking games offensively, but he made every single play that he needed to in the open field, and that's why they won. Mm-hmm. And Mitchell Trubisky was a big part, even though he had 21 for 38 and only 194 yards and one touchdown. He really had a game that stood out because he kept his team in and he didn't make any mistakes. Two beautiful throws, too. One in the fourth quarter, one in overtime. Pat Fryer moved over the top. Uh, a tight end outside seam route, and then Deontay Johnson in overtime. Tough catch on the sideline. And Mitchell Trubisky, I give him credit. He play, put those balls right where he needed to. And <laughs> yes, Carl, no credit to Trubisky. They had like five first downs. Yeah, I get it. It doesn't matter. He made some good throws at the end of the game, is all I'm saying. I'm not saying he played he like Justin make, Herbert did. He didn't make those mistakes that cost him a game. Correct. And if, if you you have a quarterback that's going to go out there and, and, and give you an opportunity to win and not make the mistakes, A.K. Joe Flacco or some of the other quarterbacks that threw away games just because, hey, you know what? Uh, we're expected to lose, so why not throw the ball in, in a seam where it doesn't make any sense? He didn't make those mistakes against a very good Bengals secondary. For Joe Burrow, he made a lot of mistakes. Yeah. Uh, four interceptions in the first half. He looked better in the second half, and even though his numbers show that he's still one of the elite quarterbacks for 20, 33-53, uh, 338 yards and two touchdowns, Joe Burrow did not have one of those games that you can st- say that he is one of the top five quarterbacks in the league. He is a top 10 quarterback. Uh, Joe Mixon had a better game, 27-82. Uh, Jamar Chase, again, shows you why he was a top wide receiver when he was drafted. 10 receptions, 129 yards, and one touchdown. And made that catch that almost won in the game. And by the way, McPherson... I don't know what happened to him in this game, but missing three kicks, a guy that didn't miss at all last year, everybody thought was the the hidden secret, the hidden weapon uh, going throughout the the playoffs the way he did and not missing in the Super Bowl the way he did. Uh, A lot of people expecting McPherson to be that guy, uh, one of the faces of this organization for many, many years to come. And we've seen this over and over and over again. A kicker, you know, plays well one year and dies down the next. So let's see if McPherson could fix that up going into week number two, but uh, that's why Pittsburgh won. And and by the way, I I have to give a lot of credit to Mike Tomlin. This is a guy uh, that fights his way and he gets his team to play for him, and that's something that you expect. And by the way, Chase Claypool, using him as a running back, very smart. I was very, very intrigued on how they use Chase Claypool in the game. Uh, It's very, very fun to watch the, the, the Pittsburgh Steelers, especially defensively, but hopefully... Uh, Mr. Watt is not out for a significant amount of time. Yeah, seems like it's going to be half the season. All right, upset of the week. The Chicago Bears, 19. The 49ers, 10. An absolute rainy game at Soldier Field. And Justin Fields, he's got some clutchability in him, that's for sure, in those circumstances. He didn't have a good game. He didn't have a great game, but he played well in the second half. I've got to give him a lot of credit. We were talking about it earlier. (laughs) Darnell Mooney's our only good wide receiver, and he was able to make ex-49er bust Dante Pettis, hit him for a touchdown, all these random tight ends we talk about all the time. Give him credit the way he played, because the running game was pretty off, too. The offensive line we knew was going to be horrible against that pass rush. But he, he hung tough. He battled, and made the big throws in the fourth quarter that Trey Lance did not make. And uh, Debo Samuel, once he got shut down by Matt Eberflus, we see this all the time when he was defensive coordinator with the Colts. They love to take out that number one receiver. Once he was shut down, and also Elijah Mitchell getting hurt too, the 49ers, really had, no, the 49ers really had no adjustments whatsoever after that. And Eber- Eberflus, I liked him as a hire. I didn't like the team that he was bringing on to because they were horrible. But give him a lot of credit the way he coached defensively in this game. Anybody I, that owns um, Debo Samuels for the rest of the season, definitely – and if you don't own him, try to trade for him because losing Elijah Mitchell for a couple of weeks, you know what they're going to do. They're going to use a lot of Debo Samuels in the open field. So 
Uh, definitely. Listen, Justin Fields had a decent game. Eight for 17, 121 yards, two touchdowns, one interception. Nothing that really stood out, but uh, it was raining. It was terrible out. You have to give him credit for that. Uh, what I was very impressed with Chicago is they never said die in the game. A team that nobody thought was going to win. They showed up to the game. They played the game. It was wet and disgusting out there, but that's what it is in Chicago. You have to go out there and play your hardest. And and that's something. And by the way, the defense of the Chicago Bears in the fourth quarter were sensational. They were great. And that's their strength. And and give the Chicago Bears a lot of credit. A team that nobody thought was going to win the you know, game number one. And by the way, a lot of people thought we're going to have the number one pick in this year's draft. Uh, maybe not. Maybe they show a lot of people that they can compete and uh, with Eberflus, um, who a, d- a defensive mind, uh, maybe brings out a different personality in, in Justin Fields. The 49ers, Trey Lance isn't the answer. I, I, I know it's early. I don't think this guy's the answer. I don't know why Jimmy Garoppolo is not starting the season. If Jimmy played in this game, they win the game. That's what I believe. It was a terrible mistake. Um, but, again, a guy like Kyle Shanahan, his job is on the line. And if this guy does not show up and this guy doesn't peak – as a, as a future quarterback of this organization, he will be looking for another job in the very near future. Uh, Debo Samuels had a decent game. He ran the ball pretty well. Uh, he didn't catch much, but they have to use him. Trey Lance has to get Debo Samuels uh, you know, alive in the open field and, and, and start using the field and some of these weapons that he has to his advantage. He has weapons in Ayuk and, and Debo Samuels. And, and whenever Kittles comes back, it could definitely benefit him in the long run. But shout-out to the Chicago Bears. Sensational win for a team that nobody thought was going to win. All right, before I get to the next game, uh, Carl says, good point on Burrow. Tomlin has the Steelers tackle more than any coach in the preseason, always shows in the first week, and he thinks the Bears will still only win five games. Okay. Right, but they might be like the Lions Five games last is year. better than, you know, right now the way the Jets play, the Jets aren't going to win more than two games. Right. Okay. Well, I, I don't think anyone's saying the Bears are going to be great record-wise, but they could be like the Lions last year and play pesky with those good teams like the Lions did last year when they had that brutally hard schedule. All right, let's go to the tie game, the Colts and the Texans. Oh, please, another game. That <laughs> another game. It was me. like the Steelers and the Bengals, just so sloppy towards the end. The Texans looked like they had a big lead, and then they blew it. They let Jonathan Taylor run wild in the fourth quarter, and then all of a sudden. If I was Frank Wright, I'd be throwing up, okay? There's no reason why that your team tied with the Texans, okay? But- this is the one big weakness I've always said with Frank Reich. I like him a lot as a coach, but he does play down at teams a lot of the and time. And by the way, Davis Mills played better than my, Matt Ryan. Yeah. He did. Even though the numbers don't show that, I, Matt Ryan threw an interception. Davis Mills did not. I, I mean, he has been very impressive as a starting quarterback, taking over Deshaun Watson. Uh, I believe one of the best quarterbacks in all of the NFL. Right. Also, I think going back to Reich, though, when you're playing down to teams like that, we saw at the end of the 2019 season, they collapsed and missed the playoffs. And they started six and three because of that last year, losing to Jacksonville the way they did at the end of the season, they lost to Seattle earlier in the season. That wasn't a good team. And this is a big problem. And if you want the Colts to be able to take that next step. He's a good coach. I should, he, should, he does a lot of good things. You should be able to trust, but definitely concerning, especially the way they let the Texans really have so much space in the first half running the ball. And Davis, Mills did look good in that game, spreading the ball around. He so definitely did. concerning with the Colts uh, early in the season. A team that started slow last year, granted, but still, you can't be able to play down to these teams and expect to make the playoffs. Jonathan Taylor had one of those games. We, we expect Jonathan Taylor to be one of the elite running backs in the league. He was the number one guy in fantasy. 31 catches, uh, 31 carries for 161 yards, one touchdown, 5.2 an average uh, every time he touched the ball, which is, is a significant high amount. But 
really, Indianapolis did not show up in this game. Pittman had one of those games. Pittman and Jonathan Taylor were the two guys that stood out. Everybody else, I don't know what happened in the game. And, and, and really, there was a lot of mistakes from Matt Ryan and this defense. Defensively, they should have showed up. This is a very good defense, one of the best front seven in football. They have arguably the best linebacking core in all of football. I don't know what they were doing in the first half, and they were losing going into the, th- the second half of the game. You are, you're playing the Texans. Nobody thinks they're any good, and you're getting outplayed by a quarterback that was taking, really given the job because Deshaun Watson didn't want to be there anymore, and I believe could be a real big steal in the draft the way they stole him in Davis, uh, Davis Mills. Fantastic, uh, fantastic game. And even in the second half, he showed you why uh, they really, really do like him. But I, I don't know what happened. Uh, they better show up in week number two because if they go down and lose in week number two and they have one tie and one loss where everybody thinks that they should win this division hands down, especially the way the Tennessee Titans played against the Giants in week one, uh, this could be a rude awakening for both teams, the Titans and the Indianapolis Colts. All right, shootout in the Motor City. The Eagles hang on and beat the Lions 38-35 to in this one. The Lions. We already, we already talked about that. All right, we'll yeah, go. We'll, we'll go, go to the that next, one. Yes. All right, we'll go to the Dolphins twenty, the Patriots seven in Miami. <laughs> what do we got? Oh, I think you were laughing. I'm at just a laughing. I think it's funny. Oh, I think you were laughing at a comment. Oh, oh, I'm just laughing. But yeah, Miami did look, definitely look good in the first half. You could definitely Tua look good. He did look good, and mm-hmm. you definitely saw the spacing that is supposed to be brought into this offense. It comes like the Jets. They brought over a Kyle Shanahan type offense with Mike McDaniel, and you definitely saw them be able to get those receivers out in space. The running backs that had a a lot of injury question marks at the start of it. I think Mike McDaniel really managed well, and I think didn't really overload anybody like you saw Kyle Shanahan do. And I think you're seeing that kind of system already brought there. Defensively, their pass rush actually looked good, which was a big concern for me coming into the season. I know the Patriots' offensive line, definitely they lost some pieces, but they're still a pretty serviceable offensive line where that shouldn't be happening. Miami was able to get the defense going. They had a defensive touchdown. And, yeah, they kind of died out in the second half a little bit, but their defense still hung tough and did not get too tired. So I give Miami a lot of credit the way they played creatively. I will say this. The Patriots looked the worst in week number one I've ever seen uh, a Bill Belichick team play in week one. They were horrible. Mac Jones looked like a rookie quarterback, something that he he showed up last year and and lit the, the league on fire the way he did. Well, this year he lost a lot of weight. He's so conditioned. I don't know what happened to him in week number one against a Dolphins team that was definitely a beatable team. Now, Again, the Dolphins might be a better and more talented team. The Dolphins do not have an offensive line. Why was the Patriots' defense as just horrific as they were, especially in the first half of the game? Tua is not a game-breaking quarterback. He's not, but he sure looked like it in game number one. And and really, I don't know what's going on with the Patriots as a whole with the team, but why is it that you have two no-name guys and I, I mean, two, a defensive coordinator and a, a quarterback coach or whatever, a, a wide receiving coach wide running, receiver your offense, teams coach. running your <laughs> offense when they have absolutely no idea what they're doing. You could tell they have nothing to do with offense. And, and really, where the Patriots are and where the Patriots think they're going this year, they better figure it out because uh, without – uh, you know, an offensive mind like, uh, obviously, Mc, Mc, uh, McDaniels there, uh, it's definitely going to affect them moving forward this year with a young quarterback that needs an offensive guy, you know, feeding him information during a game. I, I thought they were horrible. The Dolphins, sensational. Tua was good. 
Chase Edmonds, I, I expect to slowly but surely fit in this offense. I think he's going to be explosive. And Tyreek Hill and Waddle, we expected these two guys to be fabulous. Uh, shout out to Jalen Waddle on that f- unbelievable catch that he had mm-hmm. uh, in the end zone. So uh, the Dolphins 1-0 and and the Patriots 0-1. And, and they look just as bad as the New York Jets did, by the way. Well, at least they scored a touchdown. I'd like yes, the Dallas did. Cowboys. The Jets uh, scored a touchdown. The, Jets, no, the Cowboys the were the only team. Of the, game. the Cowboys were the did only team Did you see what Mark did? Mark tried to make it seem like the Jets were the only team. Oh, yeah, team well, yeah. classic. Yeah, but whatever. Okay, go ahead. Classic. So the last of the 1 o'clock games, the Washington Commanders, new name, new win. They beat the Jacksonville Jaguars 28-22. to and the thing that was most impressive for me with Washington, two things. One, their offensive line actually played a lot better than yes, I expected. Their offensive line was a big concern coming into the, big, uh, the beginning of the season because they drafted a lot of guys that haven't been able to replace Trent Williams, Brandon Scherf, guys that have just not worked out. But they played well. Jacksonville, they have a lot of weaknesses on their defense, but their pass rush not, is not w- normally one of them. But also their second receivers, how they played. You said between Curtis Samuel had a, a good amount of touches. Jahan Dotson was fantastic in that game. I really liked him out of the draft, but yeah. he was a smaller guy. He, he wasn't good, supposed yeah. to be making those tough catches like he did in that game. He was very impressive. And even the way they used the tight ends, Antonio Gibson, everyone was panicking about in the preseason. He played well in this game. He's awesome. Yeah. And that defense, they showed a l- couple of lapses in the secondary, but even without Chase Young, that front still played well and was able to stop the run. So definitely things to like there. Jacksonville, their defense hung tough. Their offense still had a lot of question marks on that team, but I think Trevor Lawrence spread the ball around well considering the new receivers. But He didn't look good. He didn't I mean, look great, but at least he spread the ball around a little better. I mean, it worries you now that going into his second year, I, I know he threw over a little bit over 200 yards, but he did not look good. He made a couple of mistakes. It, he could have had three interceptions in that game. He was forcing the ball into windows that didn't make any sense. No, he doesn't have explosive wide receivers. He has that uh, overpaid Christian Kirk, who did play well. Six receptions, 117 yards. We expect him to see the ball a lot because he's the number one target. Uh, and, and Travis Etienne, who who everybody was looking forward to watching this year. I, I don't know, man. Uh, James Robinson's the better running back in my eyes. I, I know it's still early, uh, but uh, I will say this. And I, I like what I saw with Carlson Wentz. He made some mistakes. He forced the ball in certain areas, especially in, this, in the third quarter. That could have cost them uh, the game. But I like what I saw, 27 for 41, 313 yards, four touchdowns. I like Antonio Gibson. I like Curtis Samuel. Finally, if he could stay healthy this year, that could be a fun fun tandem to watch. Uh, but all in all, I, I, and McLaurin, I want to see more. One touchdown's not enough for me. I want to see 100 yards every single game and, and a couple of touchdowns. He is that uh, fun to watch. So, uh, there's a lot to, 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 to be excited for, especially with Washington's defense. But again, I, I want to see, see more offense. I want to see more Carson Wentz. And against it, there's nothing to brag about when you beat the Jaguars. All right, on to the 4 o'clock games. We'll start with my team, the New York Giants, coming back down 13-0 at oh, the look half. Look at that excitement that is Speedy's voice. Yeah, again, it was one of the most thrilling wins I remember in the last five years for the Giants. It was like, it was something hey, that Giant I never fans, expected you're not to happen. Gonna, you're not going to give Daniel Jones any credit for what he did? No, there's still some that huh? aren't. Yeah, huh? and he played. Want to hear it? He played well in that game. you got to give him that credit. He didn't throw 300 yards, but you don't have to. The way he played, he was efficient. Right. He made, what, one mistake? Yeah. I mean. Yeah, the red zone interception was horrible. That was all on him. But everything else in that second half was very good. You, tough, deep throws. Sterling Shepard actually had a deep touchdown. I don't remember the last time I ever saw that. Holy crap. And you're looking at a team that overcame a Wandell Robinson injury. You're looking at a team that has barely anything with the tight end position, and the Titans definitely attacked that. And you're looking at a team that's not supposed to be good that good defensively in the front seven, especially with no edge rusher talent whatsoever. 
Hold Derrick Henry to 82 yards. That has to say a lot about the Giants that we were able to turn around. It says a lot right. about where uh, the Tennessee Titans are going to be this year. Yeah, that's it's, the Titans, I think, definitely got too They're cute. They're in big trouble. In the second half, I think they didn't use their top players enough. I think they were using too much of the gadget guys because that's what worked in the first half. Dontrell Hillard was doing very well for them. A lot of their rookie receivers were looking good. But then they got too cute with it in the second half, and I think misused them. And I think the Giants, again, their defense banged up. They should have been able to take advantage more of that, and they didn't really do that because the Giants' secondary definitely should have still showed lapses. Not a complete game, but definitely a comeback you like to see. And finally, modern coaching. Motion. Exotic formations. Brian Dable, that was a brilliant coaching job. I know you love the second him. Half. I know a lot of Giant fans are you excited. Lo- you actually liked I it like, more than I did. I like higher, but I'm, I'm I, impressed. I, I like Brian Dable. Yeah, I did. really did, and I wanted the Jets to hire him last year when, when he became available. I, it wasn't last year, the year before that, when right. he became available. I, 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 even though Robert Sala was a guy that I liked, I would have rathered an offensive mind like Dable. I think the guy knows the game. He sees the game for what it is. I think he's another... Coughlin type of guy. I think the players will feed off of him. He's he's not he's he's a players coach, but he's not soft spoken. He'll say it how, how it is, like Mike Tomlin, and he won't hide behind anybody. So I I like what he, what I see with Dable. But Saquon Barkley showing up into that game was something that you know you expect. You want to see him have a good year. He's going to be asking for a lot of money in the offseason. If he has another one of these games throughout the season, I mean he's going to be up for uh, offensive player of the year, maybe. An MVP candidate. I mean, he was sensational. 9.1 ca- average every single carry. He was fantastic. He found the seams. He did everything that you needed him to do. Daniel Jones, he made the passes that he needed to. He he made he made one mistake. One mistake. He didn't throw 200 yards. But then again, you don't have to if you have a good running game and you have an efficient coach that knows how to play call. So, And the defense played well, too. For all the losses that they have, they have no Thibodeau. They have nobody on that defensive line that really stood out. They still made the plays that they needed to, and I just like what the secondary did in the second half of the game, shutting down the Tennessee Titans. So, uh, all in all, you have to give the Giants a lot of credit, and uh, hey, the Giants could win 9-10 to 10 games this year. I said it. They could. Mm-hmm. All right, next game, the one that you have the lead on now for our uh, weekend crunch pick on the Kansas City Chiefs absolutely Woo! annihilating the Arizona Cardinals. You got your over right at the end of the game. So you have the lead in that right now, 44-21. to They want it. talking about. The Chiefs, uh, their defense actually showed a lot more. And everyone's talking about Patrick Mahomes and their offense. I think their defense actually showed more in this game with a lot of rookies, a lot of new players. They brought in Justin Reed as a free agent, uh, a couple new pass rushers, Carlos Dunlap, and Instant impact that Steve Spagnuolo made on Patrick that defense. Patrick Mahomes, I, I, I'm not a big Patrick Mahomes fan because I don't like his cockiness, but I mean the guy's unbelievable. Yeah, <laughs> but the deep, but the, going back to the defense, I think they were very high flying. The overall speed that was a big weakness of the, especially the middle of their defense for prior years, and I really think you're showing it. it you're it's showing against a Cardinals team that has a fast offense. I know they. Uh, don't have DeAndre Hopkins for suspension, but he's not even the fastest guy on that offense. Those receivers are fast. Kyler Murray's fast, and they were fast. They seemed just as fast, if not faster, throughout that game. Steve Sagola, I think, did a brilliant job calling defensive plays. Obviously, Patrick Mahomes was brilliant with a lot of new wide receivers. Got Juju involved. Uh, Sky Moore, not really as much, but more in the second half with him. And then Clyde edwards actually had a pretty good game, too. So if he can redeem himself this season, then maybe he could be thought of as a not number one type running back, but at least like a 1A, 1B type scenario. I was impressed with Patrick Mahomes. I was not impressed with Kyler Murray, okay? Kyler Murray is a guy that I expect to go out there and show uh, why he got the money that he got and why I believe he's going to be uh, possibly MVP candidate. But if he plays like that, I, I mean, I, I'm going to choke on my words. I don't know if anything stood out for the Arizona Cardinals. Their defense was horrible, absolutely horrible. A defense that is supposed to be one of the better defenses in a league. 
what did they just like? They got drunk the night before. I, I have no idea what happened, but they did not show up to the game against a, a Kansas City Chiefs team. Well, let's be honest; they're using more number twos and number threes as wide receivers. There's no Tyreek Hill there. Yeah, Travis Kelsey's there. We expect that to happen, but uh, they were embarrassed. They were embarrassed by a team that they should have been competitive with. And Kansas City, as much as it's Patrick Mahomes, is Kansas City lost a lot of weapons defensively in the offseason. They lost one of the best safeties in the league. They lost a good defensive player on their defensive line. They've lost some pieces, and they're still winning, and they're still playing high-flying defense. If they continue doing this, there's going to be a lot of teams that are going to be questioning what, the, what this team is, including yours truly, because I thought Kansas City was going to take maybe a step back. But the way they play, they got a big game on Thursday against the Char- Chargers. That's going to be one of the games of the week. And I, I'm, I'm looking forward to watching Patrick Mahomes versus uh, young Herbert, the uh, suck-for-the-duck type of player, <laughs> against uh, two very high-powered teams. So it'll be fun to watch. But congratulations to the Kansas City Chiefs. Yeah, speaking of the Chargers, they're the next game. They beat the Raiders 24-19. to uh, Not surprised. It looks close on paper, but it, it really wasn't oh, close. Oh, man, their the defense Chargers. was... Their defense was fantastic. Stellar defense. You're talking about a secondary that was really brilliant in terms of containing not necessarily all Devontae Adams, but Devontae Adams in the first half and then everybody else. They shut down Hunter Renfro. They did a great job against Darren Waller. He had, I think, one he had the one touchdown or close to touchdown on that last drive. But beyond that, they contained him well, I thought. And they finally actually stopped the run. Their weakness of last year. They were able to rush the passer. Did a lot of good things. And Justin Herbert, I thought, after Mahomes, had the next best quarterback performance of the week. The way he, It may not look like it statistically, but the way he spread the ball around, I thought, was brilliant. Gerald Everett had a touchdown. They they got their second and third running backs involved. All these re- newer receivers. Like, it wasn't Keenan Allen. It wasn't Mike Williams that were having the big games. It was all these other guys. And that's a big step for Justin Herbert and his development, trying to spread out the ball around. I know the Raiders' secondary isn't as good as some other secondaries. But still, for his development to take that next step to be a top five, top three type quarterback, that's a big one for him to take. Teams are going to figure out Derek Carr very, very quickly. He is looking down the field for Devontae Adams every single play. And that's why he threw three interceptions in the game. You saw him looking down the field. And, yes, Devontae Adams had a good game, 10 receptions, 141 yards, one touchdown. If, if Derek Carr wasn't looking down the field the whole game, look at the other guys. Waller had a good game. What happened to Renfro? Three catches for 21 yards. He was your best wide receiver last year. He completely disappeared in the game. Uh, Josh Jacobs, why didn't they run the ball more with Josh Jacobs when you have one of the better running backs in all of football? Ten catch carries for 57 yards, that's not enough. And that's, that has a lot to do with McDaniels, and that's why they lost the game. McDaniels, for some reason, doesn't you know coach, and he doesn't uh, give the offense the way he gave the offense to the Patriots, which was successful all those years. Justin Herbert didn't have one of those game-breaking games, but 279 yards, three touchdowns, 26 for 34 is not too shabby. Uh, Austin Eckler, thir- 36 yards. I-, I was very surprised they didn't touch the ball as much. They didn't run the ball a lot. They threw the ball a lot. Um, they spread it out very well. Keenan Allen, four catch- four receptions, 66 yards. Uh, DeAndre Carter, three catches, for 64 yards and a touchdown. Gerald Everett, three catches, 54 and a touchdown. Austin Eckler, four catches, 36 yards. They spread the offense very, very well, and that's why they won the game. And by the way, shout out to that monstrous defense. Everybody's saying that this defense is going to be any good. Well, I beg to differ on that. 16 points on my team, even though my team got demolished because of, uh, obviously, Josh Allen and, uh, and Diggs. But uh, 
my defense was not the reason why. That's for sure. So, uh, shout I, I love what I see with the Chargers. They're going to be scary. And, yes, I think they could shock everybody and knock off the Kansas City Chiefs on Thursday. FYI, that was actually like more than half their points I got on her team. They just ended up finishing with the least points among every team that won that week. So the Bills really carried her. Uh, Vikings 23, Packers 7. And an the, embarrassment. The Vikings had a clinic, both sides of the ball. Justin Jefferson was the best receiver of the week. He might be the best receiver in the league at the end of the he season. Is. The, way, he the is. way he's finally in a modern offense. How, how many times that these bad coordinators have held him back? And now you're seeing him in a motion type offense. I was talking about it with the Giants. Finally, they get with the times and get some motion in that offense. Kevin O'Connell used a lot of it, just like his disciple of Sean McVay. Dalvin Cook didn't have one of those stellar games, but did have some key runs. And the Vikings, like the Chargers, they. They were able to get those other receivers involved in spacing. They weren't productive statistically because Jefferson stole everything, but they ended up doing very well. Offensive line was very good against a tough Packers front, and their defense, they looked very good again. Ed Donatel, we were talking about it last week with Pete Burchess, really did an implementing job on that defense, especially in that front seven. They did a phenomenal job of stopping the run and rushing the passer. Yes, the Packers had some offensive line injuries, but still, they were able to really make an instant impact right away defensively, which is what this is what he thought of as more of an offensive team. I will say this. Aaron Rodgers was so horrible, they brought Jordan Love in in the game, four for five, 65 yards. He looked just as good as Aaron Rodgers did in the nine, what were it, eight or nine passes that he had. Um, I, I, or five passes that he had. But I don't know what happened to Aaron Rodgers in the game. There is no wide receivers. They should have ran the ball a lot more. Aaron Rodgers tried to run the ball. He has a negative one in the game. Um, I, there's just nobody there that can catch the ball. Let's be honest. Uh, and you saw it against a, be- a very good Minnesota Vikings. Do I think this is the Green Bay Packers? No. Do I think Aaron Rodgers is going to figure it out? Yes. But it, it's alarming to go into game number one and you only score seven points and your 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 all world quarterback look like a, a backup quarterback. He really didn't look that good. And for a guy that took fifty million dollars in the offseason, I, I mean, you're, you're putting your your team in a, in a real big, uh, you know, gutter ditch, whatever garbage uh, for a team that doesn't have a strong wide receiver anymore. With uh, with Adams going over there to Vegas, but Kirk Cousins had a good game. Dalvin Cook had a good game. Uh, um, Adam Thielen had a decent game. Justin Jefferson's a fantastic beast of a man, and that defense, uh, who I didn't think was, I didn't think that was the strength of the team. They played very, very well, uh, as as we saw in week number one. Let's see him doing in week number two against the Eagles, going into Philadelphia. But uh, I, I love what I saw with Minnesota. All right, uh, we, we talked about the Cowboys enough already, so we'll go to the Monday night game. But before we do that, I'll just read some of Snuck's comments. Uh, Speedy, if the Giants make the playoffs, are you willing to get a Giants logo tat in the year? No, one tattoo bed at a time, Snook. Um, Holmes has swagger. I love that guy. Kyler forgot to watch his game film. Herbert is smooth and looked comfortable in the pocket. Reminds me of Tom Brady. Show me your lightning bolts. No, I'm not doing that. And Vikings look great. All right, Monday night football. The Broncos falling in the Russell Wilson I predicted, game. by the way. You did? Very impressive. I predicted it, and... Uh, my friend Justin called me up and he says, do you think there's going to be 40 points? I said, I, you would think that would be 40 points, but I wouldn't be surprised if Seattle, with all the upsets all week, I wouldn't be surprised if Seattle was going to knock off the Broncos and shock the world. And why not Geno Smith knocking off his, uh, his buddy in Russell Wilson, who, by the way, didn't look as good as everybody thought he was going to look. He got a lot of money in the offseason. A lot of people thought uh, he was going to just – Absolutely go back to Seattle and show everybody up, and he did not do that. 
Uh, I know everybody looks at his numbers, 29 for 42, 340 yards, and one touchdown. That one touchdown cost them the game. They, they had so many chances in the red zone and so many chokes. Why are they running the ball? Why aren't they using his arm? And I'm not going to blame Russell Wilson for that. And when you look at his numbers, you're going to say, well, 340 yards is pretty damn good. But when you have one touchdown and 340 yards, there's a problem there offensively. Now, that maybe it's the coach, or maybe they're just not using Russell Wilson's strengths with his, with his legs. They're trying to keep him in the pocket. The things that did stand out to me when it comes to um, uh, Denver is Jerry Judy had his best game as a pro. And that tells me a lot about what Russell Wilson's going to do for this team. Uh, Jerry Judy, four receptions, 102 yards, one touchdown. Had that 65-yard touchdown, the long, second longest of his career. Cortland Sutton looks like a beast of a man, like a DK Metcalf. Uh, he's going to be a fun guy to watch. Devontae Adams, I mean, Javante uh, Williams looked really good as a wide receiver slash running back. I mean, there's some good things that we saw about Denver. What scares me about Denver is that defense. Seattle's offense isn't good. They're not good. And the fact that you let Geno Smith put up 17 on you says a lot about what your defense did not do in the game. So that's all I can say about the game. Shout out to Seattle. Shout out to uh, the coaching staff over there. And uh, shout out to Geno Smith, who even though didn't have the game-breaking game numbers that you would think, but 23 for 28, 195 yards, two touchdowns, pretty damn good for a backup quarterback. Yeah, definitely concerning with that defense, especially especially up front, because I mentioned at the beginning of the season, I didn't pick the Broncos as a playoff team because they lost Vic Fangio. That defense defense is going to take a major hit, and it definitely showed. Seattle was able to run a lot in the first half, too. Uh, not necessarily on a consistency-based type basis, but a lot of big chunk plays, and that secondary outside of Sertan really looked kind of questionable, and Seattle outside of DK Metcalf didn't really have those flashy type players. He Horrible the, more, they looked. More uh, of the short catches. They did. It was the tight ends that were going yeah. off for them like that yep. shouldn't be something that you have Justin Simmons you have two good middle linebackers this shouldn't be something that's a big weakness of your defense or big weak yeah big weakness of your defense and all of a sudden you made it look that way it's like it's not like Seattle has Kyle Pitts at tight end Seattle has like Colby Parkinson and something like that like Will Disley these aren't these big flashy type names you have to end. give Geno Smith a lot of credit he but, made the throws <laughs> yeah man. he did Geno Smith making the throws to the tight ends good some good intermediate throws too yeah. and their defense was fantastic Seattle's defense was fantastic in the red zone. They really were. I mean, how many times with fourth and one, they're on the one-yard line, and and they're smacking the ball out. They're knocking the ball out. That defense kept Denver off the board. That was really the game-breaking part of the game. It was Jackson in that defense. Just fantastic to watch a a red zone team defensively play as good as Seattle did. Uh, and that had nothing to do with Jamal Adams, who got hurt in the first. Right. I think in the second quarter was out for the rest of the game. So not surprised, a $90 million player who can't stay healthy. But they, uh, uh, I forget who it was in the postgame interview, so they were a big rallying point. Jamal Adams goes down, our defense going to be doubted. Nope, they still played well. But a big reason they played well is because of the Denver Broncos' latest head coach, Nathaniel Hackett. Oh, my God, was that an awful showing of Horrible. just everything in that game. Lack of discipline, lack of good red zone play calling, lack of getting your best players involved. Seattle didn't have a, or Denver didn't have a reception to a wide receiver until the second quarter of that game. Hey, Giants fans, does that remind you of of your last three head coaches? It seemed very Joe Judge and Ben McAdoo-esque the way Nathaniel Hackett called that game between the play calling, between the play calling on third down, key situations, obviously the field goal, the running the clock out the way he did, that was abysmal. If you're going to kick a field goal, call timeout first, but don't kick a field goal anyway. That was out of the realm. But 
call a timeout, otherwise go no huddle and try to run a fourth down play, catch him off guard. There are so many better options than everything you put together at the end of that game, but also just even before that, too. How does it that take you that long to get your top receivers involved? Their second tight ends were doing more in that game than the than the wide receivers. And if you see a running back fumble inside on the one-yard line, why not? Okay, let's just try to call something else again. No, he wasn't that smart. Nope. Nathaniel Hackett, FFF for your coaching debut. Well, week two, we will get into all the games tomorrow, as always. But uh, it was a very interesting week in week one for football. Mm. A lot of surprises nobody would expect. And if you're in a suicide league, I, I expect a lot of people to be knocked out because... I was knocked out in every single suicide, uh, you know, league and, and event that I just was so shocked with with some of the picks that I had. Almost sure things, yeah. and uh, just been knocked out. And and by the way, the Beave and his father picked the Broncos to win in a lot of their leagues, and they were knocked out. Uh, it just a lot of crazy things that happened in week one, and I expect that in week number two as the games are going to get better. So uh, as we see on Thursday Night Football, we have the Chargers and the Kansas City Chiefs. Might be the best game of the week, mm. uh, but a fun game for Thursday Night Football, and that's what I like, a Thursday Night Football game worth watching. So Kansas uh, City and the great Patrick Mahomes versus uh, Justin Herbert, the I believe a quarterback that's going to take over the league by storm, just like Joe Burrow did last year. Wouldn't be surprised if the Chargers go all the way to the Super Bowl. They're, they're a fantastic uh, team, really built all through the, from the top to the bottom. They're fantastic. Now, what I mentioned about Justin Herbert was going to be in full effect on Thursday night. He's going to have to spread the ball around to those depth receivers because Keenan Allen is not going to be playing in that game either. Yep. So that'll be a big, that'll be the next big test for Justin Herbert against the Chiefs defense, like I said, that was flying against Arizona. Absolutely. So those were our thoughts in week one. Uh, take it or leave it on, on whatever we said, but uh, uh, we, we gave you some quality thoughts and quality pointers on where we think... Uh, Week one went, um, as you heard what I thought about the New York Jets, uh, just a com- complete catastrophe as a whole for an organization. And and I can't sit here and, and stick up for Robert Soller or Joe Douglas or or the, the, the management of that team sitting there and, and honestly blaming and attacking the fans for the reasons why they believe – they lost, okay? They, 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 Robert Sala didn't blame the fans on why they lost. But the way he made it sound is like, uh, you know, if the fans were you know, behind us or, and they stayed behind us, we would maybe have put up a better showing. That, that's that's a, such a ridiculous thought when he came out and said that I'll be taking receipts. How about why don't you just keep your mouth zippered, go out there, answer all the questions the press have for you, and and be be honest to the press. Be honest to the fans on what you saw on the field. You can't honestly sell us that the Jets played a good football game. They did not show up to that game. The first half they did, and the second half they were absolutely abysmal. Mm-hmm. Right at the end of that third quarter into the fourth quarter, kind of when those big plays started, it really turned for the Jets because the Jets – like I mentioned before, they stopped the run really well against a Ravens rushing attack that's lethal with Lamar Jackson. Granted, Gus Edwards was out, but they got still got J.K. Dobbins. They got their offensive line pretty healthy, and they were able to. That was the biggest weakness of the Jets when it came from a conceptual standpoint last year, kind of like I was mentioning with the Chargers. And they were able to overcome that and keep themselves in the game, and yet they never were able to make any adjustments. And Mike Lafleur, I don't know what is going through that guy's head right now. Kind of like what I was mentioning with Nathaniel Hackett, it takes you so long to get your 
top players involved outside of Michael Carter, who had a very good first half. Really, everyone else was just not being used properly, and that's going to be a big problem. If you draft all this receiving depth and then all of a sudden waste it, you're not going to bode well. Just look at the Denver Broncos and how they lost to a Seattle defense that's horrible. It was just it was bad football, all in all. You can't you can't sell me that that was good football, and and for you to sell that to anybody to think that they that Joe Flacco had a good game. Flacco was horrible. I I mean I fought with Eric Martini after the game. Of course said, you did. No, he said he he told me that uh, people are writing that it wasn't Joe Flacco's fault. It I would say 90% of the reason why they lost was Joe Flacco. That he couldn't roll out when te- players like Houston, you know, drove up the middle. He couldn't move away from the speed uh, on the outside. It, if Zach Wilson did play the game, I think he would have got got out of trouble at least a few times and maybe made plays in the open field when the wide receivers got open. So I, I just I'm not saying anything good about Zach Wilson yet because I want to see him on the field this second year. But what we have seen so far from this Jets offense has been absolutely complicated and horrible. So, and I mean complicated because you can't tell me that Garrett Wilson shouldn't be on. At every single drive. He, when he was on the field, things were happening. Things were happening. Why did you draft him in the top 10 if he's not playing on every single snap? Why is Corey Davis having, like, what, 12, 13 looks while your other wide receivers are getting three or four? What the hell is that? You can't waste good receiving depth. Just ask the Seahawks. Just Corey Davis shouldn't be there. He should not be there. They should have, at the, at the end of last season, not staying healthy, dropped him. Brought in Denzel Mims and see what your youngsters have. See what these guys are. At least just use them in a motion offense that you're supposed to. You're raving about this offense being this high profile, a lot of depth everywhere, a lot of motion. Well, then use it that way, Michael Fleur. That's on you. That's not on anybody else but yourself. Yeah, you can blame the quarterback all you want. Michael Fleur, you did not position yourself. Robert Sala did a good throughout the last week when it came to making deception of whether Zach Wilson was playing or not to throw off a good coaching staff. You know what doesn't throw off a good coaching staff? A very basic vanilla offense. And well, that's what it's shown. And that's all I'm going to say. I'm not going to talk about the Jets anymore. Uh, as far as the Tom Brady story, that this is his final season, I believe it will be his final season. He wanted to see if he can go out there for one more season, put up the numbers, and try to give his uh, team a chance to win this year. Uh, being that the NFC is so weak, uh, it's a possibility. I think he saw it to be an advantage for him to come back with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and pull off uh, a season where they could surprise a lot of people. There's not many teams that they're going to be able to that are going to be able to compete with Tampa with their uh, depth that they have on all sides of the ball. But uh, I think that's the reason why Tom Brady came back because he looks at uh, you know he looks at the NFC as a, a winnable uh, conference to win being that the AFC is just so much better than it has been. Yeah, we definitely know Tom Brady definitely has a passionate love for the game. There's no reason he's played until he's 45. Like, he wouldn't he wouldn't stop if he didn't have that kind of drive. But the, his comments after the game saying how much pain he felt uh, physically in that game, again, granted the Bucks' offensive line is banged up too, whatever. But still, the hits that he's taken definitely more than you saw in the past show that he's leaning that direction. I, I do believe it for the first first time, really. I didn't believe it with the whole offseason last year. Uh, initially, not the unretirement retirement thing, but the rumors before the season ended that were once they lost to the Rams that he was going to retire. I didn't believe that at first either, and then he had that whole saga in January. But still, 
physically now getting that kind of toll taken on him, that's where you start to worry about that kind of thing for Tom Brady trying to have that going out for this year. But yeah, he's going to try to do that. The NFC, definitely not a deep conference by any means. Outside of the Eagles, really all the powerhouses that we thought at the beginning of the season struggled in week one. The Packers, the 49ers, the Rams, they all had terrible week ones. And maybe that's an opening for the Buccaneers. I don't know. They didn't play great either. But still, uh, Tom Brady, I think more than ever, definitely showing some truth in terms of physical wear and tear, which you never you never saw in the past. And his love for the game will always be there, but he's 45, so we'll see. I'm watching the Yankees choke in this game against the Red Sox. They're, they're, they're up 4-1, to one, and then they have Loisica in. It's bases loaded, and uh, I, I don't know who's playing at first base, but uh, he, he bobbles the ball, an easy grounder from Devers, and he bobbles the ball, a run scores, and I, I bet you they lose the game. I bet you they lose this game. Just because of stupid defense. So, there's another run, by the way. It's 4-3 now. Yeah, it looks like a little slow on that double play. Or what should have been a double play. Yep. <laughs> With J.D. Martinez running, who's not exactly fast. No. And that's what I mean about the, the Yankees. When, when it comes to the big part of the games, they can't, they can't close. And this is going to come down to the, the end of this game where the Yankees will choke in, in Boston, a game that they should have won. No, this is this is the Red Sox season. This is there's nothing more they want to do than to keep the Yankees from winning the division. <laughs> Be safe. They're trying to they're trying to look at the uh, you know the review it. Yeah. The review it, but there was no way he was safe, a hundred percent safe. And Ty goes to the runner anyway. So there you go. Mm. Um, so while we get into some baseball, before we get into the Yankees and and where the Yankees need to be, and, and this is a very important game for the Yankees because they cannot. They cannot lose this series against Boston, being that Tampa and the Blue Jays are playing against one another. And this is a chance for the Yankees to pull away from Tampa. And maybe if the Blue Jays stick around, they can can still keep that six-game lead against the Blue Jays. But uh, uh, what are your thoughts with the Mets so far uh, going into the last – Two and a half weeks of baseball. They still have a trouble beating bad teams. I don't know why. They lost against the Cubs. DeGrom, yes, he pitched down for his standards. Six innings, three runs yesterday. Looked good in some facets, but not a Jacob DeGrom-esque performance. But the offense just continues to disappear. Outside of Eduardo Escobar, oddly enough, he's the one hitting now. on a, I think a 10-game hitting streak now. But Mark Canna's hitting, and that's really it right now. Alonzo had one home run over the weekend to get out of the home run drought. Okay. But the Mets are all of a sudden not hitting with runners at scoring position and losing to bad teams you can't do. Thankfully, the Braves lost some ground because they played against Seattle over the weekend. Oh, he missed the plate. He, he missed the plate. He's out. Oh, wow. Yeah. He missed the plate. He's out. Yeah. Know, Yankees are going to win this challenge unless the umpires are just blind. But, yeah, the, Met, the Mets cannot play down to these teams. You can't play down when the Braves are, are this hot. Yeah, they were expected to cool down at some point a little bit, but they're still 4-3 and three in their last seven games, and they still just beat the Giants yesterday. They still beat the Mariners in one of those games. So you still can't play down to these teams and try to trust Max Scherzer. If he's the... out, that run doesn't count. Correct. Because it's a force play. But, yeah, you can't be able to trust your just two guys to be able to carry the load. Chris Bassett, too. Didn't he's pitch out. Well. He's out. Didn't pitch well either in yesterday's game, which is definitely concerning. And if his second half continues to be that way, that's a big if for a guy that was supposed to be like a number two type pitcher for the Mets. So I don't know about that. But 
Stop losing to bad teams, Matthew. We want the RJ Ochoa Astros Mets World Series. You can't, uh, you can't be losing to these teams and be a wild card team and fall out of the division because if they're a wild card team, I'm worried about the adversity they're going to have to overcome. I mean, you have to give the Mets a lot of credit because Atlanta took sole custody of first place. Everybody thought it was done. They weren't going to catch back up, and then and they they fought and they they gritively got back up to their their grit team. They got back to that that top spot. And they've held on to it. So you have to give them credit with that. I mean, have they played good baseball uh, the last couple of weeks? No. They've lost against teams that they should have won. They're 4-6 and six in their last 10 games. They've lost two games in a row. Atlanta is not winning either. They're playing bad baseball too. So this is a good time to not, you know, if you're not winning, uh, to lose. Uh, because the Braves were just one of the hottest teams in baseball. They, they were not losing. They were winning every single series. Now, over the last couple of weeks, uh, and really last, I would say last week and a half, the Braves have looked, um, they're not invincible. They're They're, average, right. But the the, the Mets still should be gaining ground now. We talked about it on the weekend crunch. The Mets have a massive schedule advantage in September over the Braves. Well, that doesn't matter. Right. But it doesn't matter when you're losing two to the Cubs already, two to the Nationals, and one against the Pirates, too. And they're getting blown out a lot of the games. It's 6-2 right now in the eighth inning. And that's unacceptable for a team that good. Well, again, when when you look at where, you know, the Mets are and and where the Mets need to be at the end of the season, all they have to do is is stay in first place. So they have the bye week. They don't have to play the wild card game. And they put themselves in position to win. Okay? With that pitching staff, even though Bassett has not looked good the last two starts, uh, I expect Scherzer and Jacob DeGrom to be their their heavy loaders. Those are the guys that are going – at least one of those guys is going – if it's in a seven-game series – at least one of them is going to pitch three, and the other one's going to pitch two. Right. Yeah, and Bassett, if, if if he's the other guy, he's going to pitch one game. That's it. They're going to ride their horses. That's what they're going to do. That's going to give them a heavy advantage against whoever they play because they have horses like Max Scherzer and Jacob Degrom. And if if one of them have one bad game and they and the other the other games are good. I expect the Mets to to roll right over in a divisional game, whoever they play. It's just uh, the Braves match up very, very well against them. And they don't want to play the Braves in a divisional game because uh, I think the Braves have their number. So I, I, I just think, you know, where the, where the Mets are and where the Mets need to be in the next couple of weeks, they, they need to stay on top. They do not want to fight. They don't want to play in the wild card game where they're, they're going to be matched up against Milwaukee or, or San Diego. I mean, you do not want to play San Diego in, in a wild card right. game, three games. I mean, I, there's no guarantees to that game. No, the Padres have the most wins in one-run games. If they if they get some leverage back of how they've been playing in August and play well in September, and Hater's starting to pitch, yes, he's starting to pitch now. So right. if he, you have to watch out because Hater looked terrible when he was traded there. Now over the last three weeks, two weeks, he's starting to pitch, and mm-hmm. and now he's starting to figure things out. You when you see that happen. You you start to wonder, you know, what this bullpen's going to be when the playoffs start because we all know what Hader is. He, Josh Hader is the best relief pitcher in baseball when he is on. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's why they made the trade, and that's why they gave up some prospects the way they did. They gave up practically the whole farm system for two trades. Right. So uh, they expect to win this year. And I'm telling you right now, no matter what the Dodgers look like and St. Louis looks like and like the Mets and the Braves look like, you do not want to play San Diego 
in a series because they're hungry and they have winners that have won before, a.k.a. Juan Soto. That's why they made the trade. This guy mm-hmm. has carried a team to a World Series. A team that had the worst track record of playoff appearances before that, even going back to the Expos. The Expos never made it to a World Series. <laughs> the Nationals, first time they make the playoffs, nope, 97 win season, nope, nope, choke against the playoffs against the Cardinals and all those other like abysmal playoff losses later. Juan Soto comes in, instant impact. They go on probably the most biggest underdog run we've seen in a while in the World Series. They took down the Dodgers. They took down the Cardinals that were a very good team that year. And then the Astros who were cheating in the World Series. Juan Soto has that kind of impact. Can the team culture change for the Padres will be a question mark. But still, if they can get to that form, I think they're that second team to watch out for because of how well they are in one-run games and how good that pitching is. It's so interesting when we go back and forth and where uh, the Mets are and where the Yankees are, including the Yankees. And I, I will get into the Yankees. Shout out to Aaron Judge, who has 57 home runs. he ha- I think the Yankees have, what, 21 more games left or 20 games left? I don't know the exact number. But he would have to go into a bad slump not to break Roger Maris's record. I mean, th- th- there's no reason why Aaron Judge can't break Roger Maris's record. Yeah, 20 games left. 20 games left. He has... Uh, Fifty-seven home runs. He needs four home runs to tie it, five home runs to break it, Mm -hmm. and I I think he could do it. He's I the series is that the series that he has are definitely series that he's going to pitch. He's going to play against bad pitching. I expect Aaron Judge to at least he had two home runs the other day. Uh, He's got an opportunity. The question is, is he going to? Get into one of those slumps, and we've seen this happen with pit, you know players trying to break that record. And and yes, he will be the guy, the only guy, the lonesome guy to break that record. Everybody keeps saying, "Well, Bonds broke it." McGuire, in the way of way baseball looks at it, they did steroids, yep. so they're not going to give them credit. This is, I mean, it would be fitting for the the team, the player to break the player's record is a Yankee. I mean, Roger Maris broke Babe Ruth's record. He was a Yankee. Now you have, uh, obviously, Aaron Judge, who could break Roger Maris's record as a Yankee. So it would be fitting that all three times and all three home run records were broken by Yankees. Mm -hmm. So... Aaron Judge, if he avoids one more injury, any injury stint this year, should be able to do it at a 20-game pace. Because we're also seeing teams still pitch to him pretty normally. Obviously, the Rays, I think, are the only teams that started to pitch around him and intentionally walk him in certain games in that series last week. But again, you're playing for your, your playoff He lives. still hit a couple home runs against him. And he him. still hit a couple home runs against him. He hit a lot against the Twins and obviously hit multiple yesterday against the Red Sox. So he's still getting his when he needs to. And, and they only play the Rays one more time. So there's not a lot of... I guess like super difficult pitching staffs when it comes no. to when it comes to like just the management. I'm not talking about the raw talent because a good pitcher could still attack a good hitter type thing. But I'm talking about the way the Rays manage the pitching, the creativity they do it with. They really don't want to let the big stuff beat you a lot of the time too, mm. and they're not facing a lot of those other types of teams. I think the Brewers are the only one that's a, like a really tough pitching staff that they still have to play. I know the Mets got to play them towards the end of the season too. That might be tough, but if Aaron Judge stays healthy and he's done it the, all the last two years he should be fine in terms of breaking that record. And if that ends up being the case, he's going to get a lot more than even what he's thought of getting now. Mm-hmm. And that's why I think that, you know, if the Yankees could get out of this series with Boston, sweep Boston, I, they play Boston, I think, again, you know, at the uh, in, in about a week. They have a very good chance to win this division. If they win the division, uh, it, it gives them a little bit of breathing room, but they don't have to play in the wild card game, even though, I think it would be beneficial for the Yankees to play in the wild card game because every team 
that plays in the wild card game. Those wild card teams have the advantage going into the divisional series. But uh, again, over the last couple of years, the Yankees have not benefited going into those wild card games. Right. So I, I think we'll see where the Yankees lie, and they want the home field advantage now. Uh, being that Houston has the best record in the American League, if they have to play, uh, if the Yankees get out of the divisional series and they have to play Houston, uh, Houston would have the home field advantage, and the Yankees do not play well in Houston, especially against Houston pitching. So it's going to be very interesting, uh, being that Houston right now is running away with their division and running away with the American League. They're going to win the pennant. Uh, in the American League, there's no question that. Well, they they do win the pennant in the American League if they win. Yeah, they right? they win the American National League, League wins the pennant. It's only one one pennant in each conference, Correct. right? Yep. So I I I forget, you know. But no, uh, just winning the division is not a pennant. No, you have to win the no, no, I, I know that. But I'm saying, is there only one full pennant who wins the, all of the major leagues or? A pennant in each conference. Yeah, that's just the World Series. There's one American League, one National League, and then whoever wins the World Series. The Astros got the AL pennant last year, lost to the Braves. And they might make it again at this rate, the way they're going, but who knows? The Astros haven't made it every, uh, haven't made it back-to-back years yet, so we'll see. There's 17, obviously cheating, 19 cheating well, last year. Well, I, I think if the Blue Jays match up, because the Blue Jays are playing pretty good baseball right yes. now. They are. And uh, you said they weren't going to get on one of those streaks, but they're, they're, they're getting hot against a very good Tampa Bay Rays team and Tampa who was really trailing about, you know, behind the Yankees. Now Tampa seven games behind the Yankees and they're as good as done because to get 20 games left, the Yankees are not going to go on one of those losing streaks where they're going to lose 10 games in a row. It's not going to happen. So the chances of the blue Jays, I mean the Tampa Bay Rays catching the Yankees are slim. The blue Jays can, uh, they do play the Yankees. I think one more time. So uh, anything's possible, but, I think it's very open. And Baltimore, uh, they have not played as well as they did the last couple of weeks. They've been on kind of a skid, but very impressive. I'm very impressed with Baltimore, and their farm system is fantastic. Yep. And sensational. Yep. Uh, they're going to have some good players. I expect Baltimore to be at top of the American League East very, very soon with the Yankees and Toronto and Tampa, maybe right behind the Yankees. And if the Yankees lose Aaron Judge, I mean, there's a lot of teams that are going to be gunning for Aaron Judge. Right, and a also, also a lot of pitchers they might lose. We have to see what the Yankees offseason look like. They replace these players well, so I, I trust Brian Cashman to do that kind of thing. But for how long will that go is the question. When the Orioles really have a sustainable thing with that farm system, we see, we see teams really quickly emerge from that. The Cubs did it right away with their young team once the NLCS the first year, then won World Series. We're seeing it now with the Padres. We're seeing it now. We saw it with the Braves already in 2017, now winning a World Series last year. So maybe the Orioles are on that kind of trajectory. And, and here's the thing. This whole Red Sox expected to go aggressive after Aaron Judge. Nobody thought they weren't. I mean, I told you guys for months that the Red Sox are going to go aggressively after Aaron Judge. Here's the question, and I'm going to sit here today and I'm going to argue this. Are the Yankees willing to lose Aaron Judge to the Red Sox in the same division? I highly doubt that. I cannot see the Yankees letting the Red Sox overpay Aaron Judge to lose him to the Red Sox and have to play Aaron Judge every single year 17 times. I I do believe the Red Sox are going to give him a big contract, offer him a big contract. If the Red Sox offer him three, the Yankees will offer him three. The only team the Yankees would let him go to if they overpay is San Francisco because you don't have to see him that much. And you're not going – and I don't know if Aaron Judge is willing to go to the – if the Red Sox – let's say the Red Sox offer – 
Aaron Judge 315 for nine years, and the Yankees offer him 300 for eight years. I think he'll take the Yankees' contract. I don't think he'll go to the Red Sox. But if the Red Sox just over, you know, do it and give him like 325 million for 11 or 10 years, and the Yankees give him, you know, 280 for seven, he will go to the Red Sox. He will. But again, do you see the Red Sox out over? Overpaying Aaron Judge over the Yankees? I don't think so for the sole purpose of Heim Bloom being their GM. I don't know if he's going to be in that mold to spend that kind of money. Now, the ownership might be. They love to spend money. We saw, we saw them do it sometimes with good contracts, sometimes with bad contracts, like the one with Pablo Sandoval and now Chris Sale with all the injuries he's dealt with. But it'll be interesting because Heim Bloom is there now, and he's been a lot more when it comes to those good bargain contracts. And I think. That kind of philosophy is something that the Red Sox have been trying to get out of for a while because they of all also the bad have to pay Devers. They I mean, they have to play. They have to pay Devers soon too, which is going to make a big difference in terms of those kinds of. But talks. if they lose their shortstop and they let him go to free agency, that's money that they can use to to overpay for Aaron Judge. And here's the other thing too, because Heim Bloom comes from the Rays. How much are they going to prioritize that kind of thinking with? Overpaying, And also the Rays are a team that model themselves on pitching, which is the opposite of what the Red Sox do. So I think that's something that is going to be a tough battle with him in the front office to be able to make that kind of thing work. Whereas I think the Giants, in terms of the main competition for the Yankees, are a little more direct where they've developed pitching well. They don't have a lot of other money tied up in big contracts. They were able to let a lot of those guys go and purge those contracts. And that's where I think their path is a little more direct. Now the Red Sox, I do think they have a shot to overpay a lot. I think... If they do end up getting him, they're going to overpay for him by about $20 million because the ownership will give in because that family does like to spend a lot of money. But I don't know if Heim Bloom is going to want to have that kind of philosophy, especially with how much pitching they need and also needing to re-sign a player of Devers caliber, too. Mm. That's one of the best pure hitters at the left as a left-handed hitter in the game right now, and he's young, he's durable, he's been able to stay healthy. Yes, his defense has been spotty at times, but he is pretty much everything else. He's going to else, want $300 million. And he's going to want a lot of money, so... Therefore, does that clash with what you want to do with Aaron Judge in order to just steal him from the Yankees is going to be another question. But again, I do think the Red Sox have that kind of philosophy in them. They'll make an offer. I just don't think they're going to overdo it. I'm telling you right now, it's going to take a lot for the Yankees to lose him. Uh, It would have to be Aaron Judge's decision to go to San Francisco. It would have to be, you know, you know, even though he loves the Yankees and he loves the organization, he wants to go home and because the Yankees already said, you heard what Brandy Levine said. He says we're going to give him a great offer, and we're not going to let somebody go out there and outbid us. Right. So it's not going to be because of the money that Aaron Judge leaves. Right. Because he's an all-time Yankee, as Randy Levine said. He says he's an all-time Yankee. So why would they let an all-time Yankee just go in free agency? It's not. It, it's not likely, but. San Francisco is going to me, and you heard what San Francisco's, you know, management said that it's going to be a great off season. They expect to go out there and open up their pockets, and why not go after the best player in baseball right now, the best player in baseball? It's not even an argument right now. Right? Did you hear what? Did you see what CC Sabathia said? No. What do you got? <laughs> Sabathia said that Otani should win the MVP over Aaron Judge. Wow. That's what he said. Putting down your former teammates. Yep, that's what he said. <laughs> Damn. I, would, I wouldn't have expected that on a CC Sabathia. Sabathia said that Otani 
should be the MVP of the league, not Aaron Judge. Wow. I'm surprised. I, I'm surprised. Well, he's a pitcher. I know, but uh, okay. You want to defend a, p- a pitcher? Okay. And he was also a good hitting pitcher, so I could understand defending a player like Otani. But I'm surprised. CC Sabathia didn't really have like that sour ending to the Yankees' time there. Yeah, he got old and uh, had weight issues and all that stuff, but that was on him, not on the Yankees organization. He really didn't have a sour ending with that and had a good relationship with Aaron Judge. So I'm definitely surprised that he would have said that kind of thing publicly. It's one thing. Cause to he knows it. what's going to happen. He, he doesn't actually believe Otani is going to win the MVP, right? Especially if this man breaks Roger Maris's home run record, they're not going to give it to Otani. I mean, uh, right now he's batting 300 He's hitting for average. He is op- on base percentage is like, I mean, one of the greats. Uh, you know, you're not going to see uh, a player have an on base percentage as high as him. In a, I mean, the last player to have this was Mike Trout right. a couple of years ago. In the Statcast era, only Mike Trout, one of his MVP seasons, and Vlad Jr.'s season last year had a one point one near one point one OPS, and Aaron Judge is on that kind of pace right now. So I don't know how you could downgrade that kind of season, CC Sabathia. Yes, Shohei Otani's pitching numbers are better than they were last year, but he doesn't have the same. Uh, Stolen base numbers, He could RBI win the gold numbers. glove for center field this Correct. year. Correct, and that's the other facet, too. Aaron Judge is not just doing it for home runs. He's doing it with stolen bases. He's doing it with center field play now. He's doing it with batting average. It's not like Ryan Howard where he was mashing 50 home runs and doing nothing else. I would understand why he didn't win MVP for that reason. Aaron Judge is doing everything else, too. And now, you look at the way the Yankees played in late August into now, he's essentially carried the offense whatever was he's hurt. He's been carrying the offense. He is the offense. It, it's it's been in, incredible, and that's why the Yankees, knowing that he has been carrying the offense, you have to dig into your pockets. No matter what you do in the offseason, you must pay this guy. Because if you don't pay him, you need to go out and find a guy that's going to fill in those numbers, at least some of those numbers, right. to to help out. Because you can't expect John Carlos Stanton to be healthy, even though he can put up those kind of numbers and ride with that offense. They need another guy that could stay healthy, and I don't want to. I don't want to see them go after uh, the shortstop for the Red Sox. This is what the Yankees do: they try to fill in pieces, you know, because they lose a piece. They lost Robinson Cano, which was a good move by Brian Cashman. Anybody that goes back and sees. Yankee fans were not happy that Robinson Cano was let go. But when you look at the big picture, even though Jacoby Jacoby Ellsbury was a complete bust, it was a great move by Brian Cashman because he didn't overpay for a guy that he didn't think was going to be worth it. Right. And that's a bad sign for Clay. You know, Clay already is giving up. He might be out. I couldn't tell. They called him safe on the field. They couldn't tell. Uh, Snug says, 1994 was the best year for Montreal, and of course the strikes showed up. Yeah, and they haven't been the same in the playoffs since, even with the Expos and with the Nationals is what I was getting at, because they had a lot of talent in certain years, but always were choke-prone up, up until that 2019 underdog run that they went on. But yeah, the Yankees, to be able to replace, replace that kind of combined production, whether it's just directly with the outfield play or whether it's combined with one hitter, one pitcher, is going to be very difficult to replace. Now, we've seen Brian Cashman bring in gems in the past many times. So this is not a Brian Cashman-directed type statement. It's more of a statement of can you get that kind of overall type player for that same overall value and be able to make it work right away on a team that's already to win now or should be ready to win now is another question. And that's where the dilemma comes if the Red Sox especially pushed for Aaron Judge. Because, again, I think their ownership's going to want to overpay to steal him from the Yankees and get him for their own. Because we've seen the Red Sox do that with – we've seen the Red Sox do that with other players too in division. And 
whether it's good or not, they're going to still try for that, especially in a rivalry where we're like the Yankees. But if the if Brian Cashman's willing to pay that extra money, they're going to keep him there, like Randy Levine said. The Giants, I do think he would take a similar offer, maybe only a little more to go there because he's from there. The Red Sox, I think, will either massively have to overpay for him either per year or maybe a shorter contract with a six-year deal, and they'll pay him a whopping like $40 million a year or something mm. like that. I could see the Red Sox doing that kind of thing in order to do it. But I don't know if Hein Bloom, with his way of thinking, is going to want to do that. So if the ownership wins out, I could see him getting him, but I don't think it will. I think the Yankees will give him whatever they need to give him to, to keep him. And, and the Yankees are going to bomb this game, I'm telling you. They're going to bomb this game. <laughs> and Josh Donald has to stop being so fancy on the third base, on the third base line. This is a man that's had a terrible year. Uh, he's making 20-something million, 25 million a yeah. year. And he has been an absolute debacle for the Yankees. Mm-hmm. Hasn't been the same since the 2019 Braves when he was a big spark for that team. And that, uh, no, they lost to the Cardinals. They didn't go to the NLCS, but they were a very good team that year. But since then, it's been kind of, yeah, he's had power numbers, but nothing else really for Josh Donaldson to look at for that kind of money. Just uh, To me, I just I don't know, understand. I, I, I like Clay. I, I think he, Clay Holmes is a good pitcher. He's, he's, he's been... Uh, pro, uh, an all-star this year. He was one of the best relief pitchers in baseball in the first half. I don't know what happened to him. I, I mean, mentally, I just think he's just – he's not sync. And and you you want your best pitchers to be sync at the end of the season. He, even coming back from that back injury, which we all know he didn't have a back injury. They sat him out because he wasn't pitching. And he was mentally – you know, he was mentally effed up. Right. You know, so now, you know, y- y- you expect, you know, better results and, and – you just you worry about him going into the playoffs, and you wonder what kind of role that's going to imply for that kind of thing because they're getting the Yankees will be getting some arms back, but not all, and that'll be up to Aaron Boone. When's Zach Britton going to be called up? We'll, we'll find out. I don't I know. I mean, he's been out. He's been down there pretty long. Yeah, I mean, for two weeks. And how will he come back is another question too. Yes, they need another lefty. Understandable. I mean, you can't if you're a Yankee fan, you can't expect Zach Britton to come back to peak form. But at least if he's half of it, it could still be good. It's also dependent on what he's role. a pitcher that no. Nobody's seen all season long. So that's an advantage the Yankees have. If he can control his pitches, yes. But we have to see if he can. Because you got to expect him with the injuries now to lose a little bit of velocity. Now, he wasn't super velocity-driven to begin with. Well, was it? Was it is UCL, right? Yes. So that, he's not going to lose velocity. Some people say that your, your velocity is even stronger. Maybe. It depends. A lot of pitchers, it's worked. But again, you also have to deal with the case where, yes, you're not a starting pitcher where you're going to have the wear and tear on your arm, but you're also an older pitcher that could be have to change your style. We talked about CeCe Bathia just recently, too. He was a power pitcher his whole career, had to change his style in, in 2015 and really and pitched better he that year. threw out his shoulder. Correct. So you have to maybe have that kind of adjustment to be ready, especially with a lefty, too, where you're going to have to be relied upon against maybe in lefty, not specialist situations because you have the three batter minimum now, but got situations where you have to face a lot of lefties. Like R.J. Ochoa was saying, the Astros have so many like lefty first base outfield type players mm-hmm. that those are going to be the guys that maybe Zach Britton will be called upon the pace. It might be Wandy Peralta because Wandy Peralta has pitched better for the Yankees this season. Obviously, Zach Britton has a pitch, but still... In the playoffs, you don't want to have just one resort to lefty arms, and that's what I was concerned with the Mets not going after anything. They have two lefty pitchers on their whole team, and the Yankees don't want to fall into that kind of trap, depending on how Zach Britton comes back. Well, strikeout for Clay Holmes. He wins the game, but he gave up a run. and You can't do that in the playoffs. Nope. You, you cannot cost your team a run and, and, and give a team... So, and look at Aaron Boone, so happy. I mean, what are you so happy about? I mean, you're... 
you should have been playing like this all season long. You're playing the Red Sox. They're they're one of the worst teams in the American League. They're, they're I think they're the second worst team in all of baseball. No, no, they're not that bad, but well, they're, on, they're the worst on. team in that division. The third th- third worst team in the American League. I'm looking at their record. They're the sixth worst team in the major major leagues. Major leagues, okay. Wow, there's a lot of no, no, no seventh. Okay. Oakland, let's see, Detroit, Kansas City. 69 wins. Wow, I, I thought they were ahead of the Twins. I guess not. No. Um, yeah, Rockies, Arizona. Arizona's playing better. And then... Oh, the Ch- the Angels are bad. No, they're 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 a 10th or 11th, if you will ever look at it. Yeah, but in the American League, yeah, they're 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 actually worse than I thought. But yeah, the whole all of baseball because there's a lot of top heavy teams. Because Kansas League. City's bad, uh, Detroit's bad, Texas. L.A. and Oakland, they're all bad. I mean, so that's the American sad, yeah. League is so weak. Besides the American League East, I mean, it's 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 weak. Right. Uh, going mean, back to what I was going with, saying with all these baseball analysts we've had on, this is the least parody I've ever seen. There's literally one surprise. The White Sox are down and the Orioles are good. That's it. Everything else is pretty normal. For whether the, the team to win the division or not is another question. Like, people had the Blue Jays. Honestly, if the, the Yankees season. were in the American League West, they'd probably have 100 wins already. I mean, look at that division. Yeah. That's it's understandable, horrible. but still, like, like it just unexpectedly, you were always expecting a couple surprise teams. There's like really only the one, the two I mentioned, the White Sox down and the Orioles being as good as they are this year with a bar- barely any payroll. But even so, everything else, playoff teams are pretty expected. Watch out for Philadelphia. I'm telling you right now, if they go in as the final wild card team, they, the trades that they made at the trade deadline. They've won four in a row. Bryce Harper's back. He's starting to hit. This team is dangerous. This is a good team. And they added Noah Syndergaard. Now, it's not the same Noah Syndergaard when he was the dominant pitcher with the Mets when he was just unhittable. But this is a good rotation, Uh, not a great rotation. And adding, obviously, Houdini to that bullpen, it gives them a, a bona fide bullpen arm that's going to help them, maybe even the closer. So, listen, I think Philadelphia is dangerous. And that lineup is as good as any middle lineup in, in, the, in the National League. It depends on the consistency of two things, one of which is their back-end pitching, the other one is their lineup as a whole. Because lineup's pretty good. Their lineup on paper is supposed to be one of the better ones in the league. It's just there's a lot of guys that have had down years. And Real Muto is actually starting to hit. Real Muto is one of those guys. That's what I was mentioning. He was, he was having a down year. Castellanos, who's now hurt, but he's hitting now. a down year. Now he's hitting. Can he find it? We'll see how he does in the playoffs. He hasn't played in the playoffs in his career yet because he was with Miami, and Miami was Schwarber's been unbelievable this year. Right. I mean, that's the scariest one when it comes from a playoff perspective. Hoskins. Well, we'll see on Hoskins. He's a very streaky guy. He's having a really good year. Schwarber is the one that's interesting, though, in the playoffs because he's had good playoff success. Even when the Cubs, their first year, not the World Series year, the first year in the playoffs, he was their best playoff hitter. And consistency wise, he was actually They have one, two, three, four, five, six. Six players with double digit home runs. Okay. Okay. Which is which is, uh, which is a very high total. Now, again, w- when it comes to consistency of those home runs, Hoskins has always been kind of streaky. Real Mucho, like you're saying, is getting it going now, which is good to see for them type of thing. And we'll have to see once those other guys that are hurt come back in that lineup. Wasn't Bryce Harper the National League MVP last year? Yes, he was. And he, he's been out all season. He still has 17 home runs yeah. and 56 No, he was on a great pace before he got hurt. He was on another, another MVP-type pace before he got hurt. His consistency year-to-year has been much better since he's gotten to Philadelphia. Because even in the shortened season, too, he was very good. He was a, I think he was a finalist for the MVP as well. So I, I'm not worried about Bryce Harper when it comes to that anymore. 
before, but we'll have to see how he does. Lineup, he's we'll, we'll have to see again because he's had been a, up and down in the playoffs so far in his career too. It is his first time back there since 2017. I would love to see him win. You know, he didn't win with the Nationals, and now he's over there with the Phillies. And, and the Phillies, I, I, I think they could win. I do. I, I think they could win. Uh, I there's there's a lot of interest in in their pitching staff, and that's the that's the question that only only they know is that pitching staff, and if they they can actually pitch against the highly profile teams like the Mets and the Dodgers and and uh, the Cardinals. Uh, the Cardinals pitching has been the best in the National League, really, for the last couple of weeks. Well, the depth is going to be tested for the Phillies, too, because a lot of those other teams we mentioned, except for the Mets, which are more top-heavy, have a lot of depth. The Braves have a lot of depth. The Dodgers, obviously, have a world of depth. The Padres, even, when they're on, have a lot of depth, too. And that's going to be those teams that the Phillies are going to go up there, because the Phillies' top pitching is good, and their bullpen has been better in the second half. And... It's still a big weakness of their team, understandable, but still, if they could get something going, maybe they could be a threat as that sleeper team in the wild card. I would still favor the Padres to be that right now just with how good they are in one-run one, one games and how talented they are when they're supposed to be. And once they get some other guys healthy, too, they're going to be dangerous in that lineup. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's going to be a fun final two-and-a-half weeks of baseball, and I expect it to to be challenging. And tomorrow... Uh, we will get into, obviously, week number two. We'll make our picks, which I'm in the lead right now. Um, and, and we'll do that for the weekend crunch as well. We'll keep up on that. And uh, also, uh, we will get into, uh, we'll start talking a little bit about hockey because preseason's right around the corner for hockey. I mean, a lot of fans are interested in that. NBA preseason's around the corner, too. So a lot of sports coming up, man. And uh, you should be very, very excited. This is the best time of year for sports opening up and then you have college basketball coming coming soon so there's a lot a lot of things going on it's the best it's the best time for sports unless you're a notre dame fan or a texas a&m fan then you're gonna have a lot of trouble or lsu fan or lsu fan but their expectations weren't as high texas a&m was was a lot of people including me thought would be a playoff team jeff had him in the national championship game and notre dame fans they always think their team is the best and yet they always crumble but they got their crumbling out of the way early in the season rather than looking for a new coach and look at carlos beltran i I, i've heard he's been a horrible part you know analyst but, uh, you know, he's, he's trying to look he's for... Pur- he's purposely doing that to make sure he gets another managerial He job. should. <laughs> he should. I thought the Mets really screwed him on that. I mean, not he might get He might get one down the road. I, I don't think it'll I be I mean, while, if... Though. What's his name again? Got the, the Red Sox job back. Cora, yeah. I mean, if right. Cora had another opportunity, why can't Beltran... That's that's fair. I, I think that's unfair. It, it, no, it's 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 definitely fair because Cora definitely got one kind of surprisingly. I remember that day when we were reacting to that, and it was. And then crazy. he was in the World Series, and then he was uh, on no NLC ALCS last ALCS. year. He was in the World obviously won the World Series in 2018, but in the ALCS last year, where nobody expected them to even make the playoffs that year, and they were surprising out of nowhere. They beat yeah. the Rays and they beat the knows? Yankees. Too. They beat the Yankees in the one game, but yeah, who knows? And maybe he and gets now his the chance. wild card games are three. Yep, so. three game series. Three. It's it's like the NFL format. Thank God. Series. Thank God, because it didn't it didn't make any sense. Well, it's not the NFL. Anymore. No, but the, the six team playoff. Obviously, it's not the single game like the NFL is. But it's three versus six, four versus five, like the NFL used to. Yeah, do but before. finally they give the wild card games three games, so it, right. one game doesn't cost you a chance of winning. You know, you got to play a three game series, and whoever wins wins. Mm-hmm. Josh Hader knows that all too well in his last one with the Brewers there against the go. Nationals. Anyways, that's it for our show. Uh, I want to give a shout-out to InsideTheBirds.com staff reporter Andrew DiCecco. He's joining us and giving us his insight 
with the Eagles. Uh, also, we'd like to thank uh, the SB, SB Nation blogging bo- for the boys, editor-in-chief R.J. Ochoa for joining us again. He was fantastic. Uh, his insight, and he is a Houston Astros fan, so shout out to him. Astros Mets World Series. Uh, that's what he thinks. Well, well, I, 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 I hope go you're right. I hope you're right, RJ. But got to go through the Yankees the first. Me, but, the, the Mets will have to get some level of bullpen depth and lefty depth for that to happen. Yeah. And the Mets didn't do either one of those at the trade deadline, and now it's starting to bite them because they can't beat bad teams. Uh, great football game tomorrow. We'll be watching while we'll be doing the live show. It will be we will be live tomorrow at 9 p.m. Uh, so every now it's no longer Tuesdays. Every Wednesday it will be seven to ten. But next week we might do it at nine because I have to take care of something. But uh, it, the shows will be early for now on. So it'll be very very interesting moving forward. So we're very excited about that. Um, Speedy, you have anything to say before we go? Yeah, I'll just I'll give you a preview of the guests tomorrow. At 10 o'clock, we will have a SB Nation Niners Nation staff writer Jordan Elliott, not the Browns defensive tackle. Uh, he's writing for the 49ers. And then at 11 o'clock, we have a uh, New York Jets guest, uh, Thomas Christopher. He does a Gangrene Nation, Jets X Factor. Also does, works for NFL Spin Zone that uh, Russell Baxter also works for. And Fantasy, he's the owner of Fantasy Football League winners. Well, there you go. So a great show lined up for you guys tomorrow. Thank you for all the fans that tune in and listen to us every single week. Uh, Again, uh, we will be back tomorrow. Until then, this is Errol Marks and Speedy, the Greaseball Petey, saying goodnight, and we'll talk to you then. Good night. It's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network.